welcome everyone to March 11th, 1989 in the Legacy Series. It is the final Saturday night main event before WrestleMania 5. It is the finish of a storyline that has at times been explosive, at times has has made the macho man Randy Savage stand still, my friends. He's not standing still any longer. This is one of the strangest builds to a WrestleMania. In some ways, it points to future more than past, and it does a thing that maybe has not happened, and it puts Hulk Hogan and his character up for defense. And Hulk Hogan is the kind of guy I do believe that he thrives as long as he's talking about the earth cracking and people falling uh, and Hulk Hogan saving them. But when he's asked question after question after question about his character, even if he wins, he's losing. It might be that the macho man Randy Savage takes the biggest chunk out of Hulk Hogan right now. I don't know. Who knows? We'll talk about it. We'll see what happens. We got bonus features. We are moving folks to that fifth WrestleMania. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome indeed back to a show where we have to explore what it means to see your woman on another man's shoulders. The mega powers are exploding in full force, and possibly I mean that literally because we are going to be talking about some intense, eye-popping uh, revelations from Randy Savage and some counter-accusations from Hulk Hogan and just a war that... Our prof in LOP forums called a war of propaganda and edited footage, and he was not wrong. Everyone's going to have their story, their narrative. It's going to be that war of narratives that we have talked about from the start coming to the forefront. It's going to be great. We're also covering two bonus Rick Martell matches, which is awesome. And, of course, Saturday night's main event, March 11, 1989. Owen Hart versus Ted DiBiase, Rockers versus Brainbusters, all sorts of stuff going on. Bad News Brown versus Hulk Hogan. It's a very exciting show. We are at the door of WrestleMania 5, and uh, it's been very exciting getting here. 1989 has been treating us pretty good so far. It's been a great 1989. I think it's starting to take a different pace, different delivery. I do feel like, for me at least, I had a better feel of what WrestleMania 1 through 4 mean. I don't know if I've watched them more or I'm more used to them in the world of narrative. Even saying the name WrestleMania 5 doesn't sound right. I think even WrestleMania 6 is back in that WrestleMania 1 through 4. So for me, I think I have a giant question mark on what WrestleMania 5 is. And maybe it should be clearer now. But I got a feeling as we go through this show... We're going to get more question marks than we get answers because our prof, Ms. Fan, it is a propaganda war. It is, uh, if it was a country, that country would soon be uh, ready for its demise. It's no, it's no uh, wonder that Vince McMahon is the one hosting it and not Jesse Ventura because Jesse Ventura would not allow this to go on. So 
I don't know. I feel like we're going to get stuck in the mud, and Miss Van's going to make it out alive, but I'm going to drown and die somewhere in the things that we're covering today. <laughs> oh, my. I will try to uh, pull you out if I can, my friend. Please do. I only have one comment. We might be able to go home after this, because it turns out all Hulk Hogan wanted was to sit on the other shoulder. All right, cut. Let's do that again, folks. Okay, straight face this time. All Hulk Hogan wanted was to sit on the other shoulder of Randy Savage when Randy Savage held up Elizabeth. That is all he wanted out of this, and he never got it. Uh, yeah, wait, we'll, we'll get to that. He yes. does say that. I don't know what to make of it. it uh, it's so... It's um. I guess I know what you mean by drowning when you say that, because the the, the wave from Hulk Hogan and 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 from Randy and, Savage at times, yes. to be fair, but just the wave of falsehoods that these guys can just utter with a straight face and pretend that it is reality will warp your own sense of reality if you listen to them enough. Uh, you just you hear so many lies, you won't know what's true anymore. You you hear so much unreality that reality itself will become surreal to you so um they're they're definitely warping the minds of uh, of young wrestling fans here uh, if you watch in this time i cannot imagine what you were thinking of all this because it's um it's quite something absolutely i probably have mentioned this before on a show but there's a jay-z quote a wise man once told me don't argue with fools because people from a distance can't tell who is who and i feel like that is where we're at with this. I don't know that either Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage come out better for what they end up doing at the door of WrestleMania. It's definitely revealing uh, the ugly side of both members of the Mega Powers. And uh, not that we haven't seen that side before, but man, just uh, two strong personalities in such a conflict as this, and uh, each claiming their own narrative on a new level. And it's been all about claiming narratives from the word go. But these two are, are ascending it to an art form. Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting conflict. I'm trying to figure out when I felt like this as a viewer. I don't mean the entire feed. I just mean what we're covering today. It might be Matt Hardy, Edge, and Lita. You know. Oh, wow. Because, like, I mean, it's like a, it's the, it's a breakup and... Like, TV and characters usually sh shield us from how, how deep some of this stuff gets or how bad it gets. It's, a, it's an escapism version. But I don't feel like we're getting the escapism version. I feel like we're getting, here's every piece of dirty laundry, and you will look at it, and Vincent Mann will hold it up for you, and we will investigate it. And at some point, while I'm enjoying it in some ways, in some ways I'm like, I don't want to see another piece of dirty laundry. <laughs> I mean... Um... And maybe it's just hindsight, but yeah, there definitely feels like there is um, a, uh, a, a true element to this, an authentic element to this that uh, does make you a little uncomfortable at times. I, I I texted you while I was watching some of these Randy Savage promos that he looks closer to exploding than he ever did, and that's uh, covering a lot of ground. And it definitely crossed my mind that even Randy Savage is maybe... Uh, I, do you get so intense that your eyes are about to pop out just because you're doing a promo for a wrestling show? Or is Randy Savage maybe drawing on some real trauma in his uh, frenemy relationship with Hulk Hogan? And um, 
all the trouble they had, and, you know, there's rumors that he really was pissed at Hogan, and Hogan did try to sleep with Elizabeth or even succeeded, and we don't know what's true, and we don't know what's just, like, kind of a sleazy rumor. Um, but everyone pretty much agrees that Hogan and Savage had their share of uh, major personal problems, so there's something going on here. Yeah, absolutely. And if there would be any evidence of that, it would come first from Randy Savage. We know that from history and just from these characters. So it's a lot to look at. Uh, we will do that job for you. Ms. Van has done another brilliant job. He hit us with, I don't even know, uh, four, five, six Hogan Savage promos from primetime wrestling. And then it's just a Rick Martell bonus on top of that. You know, who could ask for more? It's an AWA special as much as WWF is at times. Ah. So, yeah, excited. That's beautiful. I love AWA. So wonderful shout out right there. Oh boy. All right. So let's, let's talk about these two, um, Rick, Tar- Rick Martell matches first. Uh, everybody knows I love Rick Martell, especially babyface Rick Martell. Incredibly fired up guy. Incredibly, uh, talented. Always very over with the crowd. Remembered more as the model, but that is unfair in my opinion and, uh, merely a circumstance of how Vince McMahon chose to, uh, write history when all is said and done. So we get two. Big Rick Martel babyface matches, both on primetime on uh, February 6th. He's taking on Mr. Perfect. And on February 27th, he is taking on uh, King Haku. So I don't even know if I want to talk about these matches individually. They're both great. I really encourage people to check it out. Um, I really just love both these matches. Uh, the first one, I guess, yeah, let's break them down a little bit with Mr. Perfect. Uh, you've got uh, Sean Mooney doing commentary, which is always exciting to me, uh, along with Lord Alfred Hayes. And, man, you talk about just two masters at work. And, yeah, you want to talk about your AWA throwback matches. You know, th- this is definitely one of them here. I had a great time with this one. Absolutely. Uh, Rick Martel, AWA champion from May of 84 to December of 85. Kurt Hennig, uh, May of 87 to May of 88. So not only do you get those legacies, but you kind of get that timeline too, because you got Martel being AWA champion first. You got Martel building a name in the WWF. Now Hennig is the new guy in WWF. And the conversation is Rick Martel really needs a victory to bring himself back to where he once was. Yeah. Rick Martel, the victim uh, more and more, I realize of having just a lot of gaps in his career. Um, Left uh, in the summer of um, 88 for a while, I believe. Had to uh, take care of some health problems with his wife, which, of course, is very understandable. Now he's back. And soon, soon we know he's going to be the model. But uh, right now he's still the baby face. So uh, this this match was super fun, I would say, because I'm, I'm watching this match. And from the style of wrestling and even, like, the aesthetic of it, it, it looked a little different to me than a regular WWF match. I was thinking, like, man, this could be an AWA, this could be an NWA, you know, they're wrestling in that style, they're showing off something different, and uh, it was just cool, it was a very unique feeling match for this era of WWF, I thought. I agree, I, I agree, especially with that point of, you could watch, it's one of those matches you can see in three different uh, promotions, and it has two kind of back and forth, so you got a very technical back and forth where one guy dominates technically and then the other one dominates and returns the favor then one guy probably perfect turns it up with intensity knees and punches going at the throat 
And then the next turnaround, uh, Martell then gets a run with high intensity. So they kind of match counter for counter, run for run in this matchup. And it makes sense because these are both guys. They can be technical wrestlers. They can be high flying and they can beat you up. And so you get like the variety show with uh, Rick Martell and Mr. Perfect here. Yeah, super versatile, both these guys. We will see a lot more of them as we go forward. Um, my only complaint I can possibly make about this match is uh, it goes through a time limit draw, and it doesn't feel like it really went to any kind of time limits. I know sometimes they would play those straight, and sometimes they would be um, gimmicked. So you occasionally see time limits called, like, at 13 minutes and 21 seconds or so, you know, just some, like, bizarre time that couldn't possibly be the time limit so i had a little feeling of that here uh but even so everything we do get of this match is great in my opinion i wonder how often the tv title uh, in wcw uh, you may you may have just snatched another piece of my childhood away miss <laughs> <laughs> i feel i know there are some examples where they um cheated on that one but i think mostly they let that one go the real amount so i don't know yeah. if that helps or not I do feel like I had moments as a child that like, oh, Stunning Steve's defending the belt, and the bell rings, and then they're counting down like the last minute. And you're like, oh my god, that was a great match. I got lost in it, but it was actually like, oh, it was a minute match and for ten minutes. Okay, cool. Oh, wrestling. You're so deceptive, wrestling. It is. It's for the children, and the children can't tell time, so, you know, just, just fool them. Just fool them. Why not? This next one on paper just blows my mind. It's like Martel and Haku. Every time Haku's in a match, I don't know what to expect because is it Haku? Like, it's going to be a power versus power, power versus speed. Like, everybody versus Haku is like a new invitation to a new experience. <laughs> because there's like nothing Haku can't do. This dude is yeah. so amazing and he gets no, no credit for it, in my opinion. Uh, the only story about him is how he's super tough, which is true, but man, all this other stuff too. So let's show respect to King Haku here. Um, yeah, I, honestly, I like this one even better, and I don't know if I expected that because uh, I'm such a big Mr. Perfect fan, but I do love Haku, like I said. So uh, Haku tries to start this off hot, but Martel fires back ten times hotter real fast. I got to shout Martel out again, like... You haven't seen Fired Up, I think, until you see Martel. Just the way he moves, the way he acts, the way he, like, he's got a move where he, like, shakes his arms. And I don't know. It's just, like, that's so imprinted in my mind now. I just see it, and I get excited. So, um, I don't know. It's a fast and furious match. There's a lot of speed going on. There's some uh, slower parts as well. But, man, like, uh, the way they go at each other. Like, at one point, Martel... He's, like, thrown to the corner, but he jumps up on the second rope. He, like, springs back to do a crossbody. And, man, you could just, like, hear it as he smacks into Haku. And yes. it's just, it's very physical. Uh, they're taking big bumps. They're doing uh, heavy hits. This is a great match. I really love this one. Yeah, Haku is moving forward as he's being hit, too. So it's body to body. Mm. And I mark, I mark that one down, too, because it stands out. I think what's blown my mind in WWF The Legacy Series, I'm sure I saw Martel and Tito when I was a kid, but, that, you know, I was a kid. Um, I so much associate, if you had told me Rick Martel is associated with intensity when almost all I ever knew him for was the model, you know, I would say, okay, we probably need to talk about this. <laughs> but it's the thing, what makes, I don't know how we do this because, 
These guys came before the Rockers. I'm not talking about NWA and other companies. I'm talking about WWF. They came before any of these kind of guys, and they set a standard before them. Mm. You know, so... And then we got, like, the Hart Foundation and others who really have not even made a splash, in my opinion. So... Tito and uh, Rick Martel have stood out in a way in this division that is above even some of the best the company will have to offer. And I think you can say of both men, the only reason they don't go further is because WWF doesn't let them. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I, I will enjoy the run of the model to a certain extent, but I will always think it is a misuse of Martel to put him in that role because I really have rarely seen such a natural baby face like people talk about who's like the standard ricky steamboat i guess is like oh he's like the perfect mm. baby face you know what rick martell i think is actually in some ways a more exciting baby face than uh ricky steamboat so you could have given him that kind of career easily and um i think you would have gotten equal results and he would have had a better legacy because of it it's so funny you say that because even as a kid I thought about that with uh, Tito because sure. I was a, when I started watching Tito was a singles wrestler and I liked him so much and I thought man this guy is great and you know when he becomes El Matador they they legit send him to learn to be a El to to, to do the job yeah. so yeah you know, he's under the impression like oh they're putting all this behind me I must be getting a big push you know then the joke uh, the joke of the matter is no you're not you're just being asked to do this but you know. Some jokes aren't funny. Uh, but Tito was someone I used to think about with Ricky Steamboat, like in that vein, like the vein of the Ricky Steamboat baby face. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I think both of them had an opportunity. And the, the thing that sucks is like you have the guys like Michaels go over them, yeah. you know, like go over Tito and stuff like that. But if you had built them more, then you also would have been building guys like Michaels more if they ever went over them. But instead, you know, they just kind of stick them in slots like the model only goes so far as a heel. Uh, for a lot of his career, and Tito only goes so far as a babyface. And but really, I guess it's fair because the Dragon, once he comes back, will be kind of in that same slot too. <laughs> oh man, I will. I'll, I'll have plenty to say about the Dragon later when he comes in. But yeah, I mean, it's a great shout out with Tito Santana because this guy consistently, mm. when given a chance, is one of the best wrestlers in the company still, and yet. His, any real consideration for a push he has is kind of over already. Like, Tito and Martel will never even really get a, a, a good blow-off for the feud that they're going to have. You know, they're just sort of going to kind of low-key feud forever. When these guys could have torn the house down, for sure, at a SummerSlam, at a WrestleMania, anywhere. And there's just no opportunity. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I... I will also have lots to say about the mistreatment of Tito Santana and the uh, stupid pointlessness of the Matador gimmick. And uh, I don't know, like, we talked about it before. The WWF and uh, Vince McMahon tend to give up on people way too fast in this era at times. They just say, well, you're from the past, I guess, so fuck Absolutely. you, you know, you're done, basically. You know, you, you don't get to be important anymore. When they have so much to offer, and instead, I don't know, we're going to cycle through Brutus Beefcake pushes forever. You know, some people never stop getting chances. Some people, you know, they get one chance, and they do well, and it's like, oh, well, that was your chance, so good job. Now you're a joke, so it's uh, it's just not fair. Yeah, Beefcake is in a tag title match at WrestleMania 9 during a time that Randy Savage needs to be in the announced booth. Ugh. 
You know, you can't make sense of these things. And, you know, great, great talent. You want to say it will rise to the top, but it can't without the push. So if you got great talent, like Rick Martel, uh, Tito Santana, Guy Gonzalez, you got guys that can really get it done in the ring. You know, you got to honor that. You got to honor it. I can't even pin their legacies to the to the legacy board here because it's so slippery. Like I want to take Strike Force and pin that up, but I don't know exactly how to define it. I want to take Tito by himself, Rick Martel. But they got the, they got their legacy so slippery with like oily WWF hands all over it. <laughs> it's hard to even pin it to the legacy board in the way you want to. Yeah, absolutely. So you also have to contend with the legacy like that exists for them out there, you know, kind of yes. in the mainstream as opposed to uh, the things that they actually did and their real greatest accomplishments. So, yeah, I don't know. To me, after um, watching a lot of AWA from the 80s, I'll definitely always think of Rick Martel as the guy just like in front of explosive crowds fighting Nick Bockwinkle, uh, you know, fighting Ric Flair in like inner promotional uh, events at times, um, doing all this stuff, and uh, you know that's just not even part of the conversation with him. Yeah, and now this is the last thing I'll say about Tito, since we're not really seeing him on the show. But yeah. take Tito in the early '90s, put him in the Intercontinental Division. See, can he not make Mr. Perfect, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Roddy Piper? Can he not make all? Can go with all these guys, and make them better. Put him in the TV title division with Steve Austin, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton. Can he not make all these guys better? Can he not hang with all these guys? Put him in the U.S. title division. Like where would he not make the division better? Yeah, yeah. He was definitely uh, unfairly limited, I would say. But I, I will say, I think it, it's uh, next year. He will have a program with Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental title. Ooh, nice. It's maybe his last significant program, but it is awesome, and I'm very excited to see that. Thank you for that, because I, I, that would be, what, 90, so I would have started watching, I think, in 91. Right. So that'll be a good uh, good moment in time for Tito. Uh, again, this is the Rick Martel bonus. We got Rick Martel and Mr. Perfect, and... Miz fans' favorite here is is Martel and Haku. Mm-hmm. Is that partly because of the opposites, or what is it you think is getting that done for you? I think, uh, for me, I think uh, these matches are very close in quality. What takes Martel and Haku over is, this is also a time limit draw, you know, no spoils or anything, but this one really feels like it went the distance. Like, it felt like they really went out, they fought the whole time, they had their war, and, uh, you know, they were they were closing in on something when the time limit went. So it just felt like it was um, fully formed, whereas the other one is just cut off a little uh, too abruptly. So both of these are big recommendations for me. I would check them both out because uh, you could hardly find three more talented individuals than uh, Martel Perfect and Haku in 1989 WWF. And I agree 100% with going the distance. Not only does the Haku match feel like it's longer but you're going the distance with Haku, and that's yeah, just different. Yeah, that's a little different for sure. That's that's more impressive. You know, I love Mr. Perfect, but he's going to be, like, bouncing around for you. Haku's not going to bounce around for you. You know, he's going to make you earn it. Yeah, and, and it, I think when we're talking about the Taikon narrative to match up, the guys that end up getting screwed in wrestling are the ones who are always in the, in the time limit draw, the DQ, especially if you're a baby face, because, you know, you're good enough that you're always going to be involved, but never enough that they're actually going to give you the victory. (laughs) 
very true. Yeah, I don't know. The time limit is like the worst thing you can get when I think of it. Like you'd, you'd rather get a DQ or a count out because mm. that meant stuff like went out of control and that, yeah. you know, people want stuff to go out of control. If it's a time limit, it's like, well, you were just in there till the time ran out, you know. So I don't think it's maybe even a conscious thing. But, yeah, that's kind of like the worst kind of ending you can get if you're a baby face. And is the only difference is the baby faces that don't have a two by four or a snake or scissors, <laughs> all they can do is go to a draw because like the DQ comes in with when they decide like, Oh, I'm done with this wrestling BS. And the fans are all like, Oh, we love this guy. He's not going to wrestle anymore. He's gone. So maybe that's it. Tito, Tito comes back with, uh, I guess something, whatever that is for the, for the bull to run through, but that's not, you can't really, I guess he could suffocate people and kill them in the ring and he would have got a push, but he didn't go there. Yeah, you should have brought the sword or whatever they used. Then, yeah. then people would have uh, paid attention. So. I, I think Berserker has that and is trying to murder the Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen that. Oh, my God, yeah. This is the real problem with Martin Santana. They shouldn't have used uh, names that humans would have. They should have mm-hmm. been the something, you know, because that's, that's what will get you the push in this era of the WWF. We're really getting into you better be the something. If you have a real name, then, then you're sunk. <laughs> Yeah, we're all a lot of them are going there. Uh, both of these guys will go there as well with the model and, and El Matador, yep. I guess. Oh, their, their names will be replaced very soon. So. Oh man, good stuff. We are in that. I really feel like we're on like an ex, like an expressway now or something. Like we're we're still partly in the era that we've been in, but we're definitely moving to an era that is not you know the one that we've been in. Yeah. The change in this area is gradual, but, like, yeah, you look at 85 and you look at now and the differences suddenly jump into uh, stark relief. Absolutely. We're about to get in, folks. Oh, boy. There we go. <laughs> We're going to do the best that we can. We got many, many promos. Uh, Savage and Hogan, which are going to run into another show with promos of Savage and Hogan. So, oh, boy. It's, yeah. So for those listening at home, um, pretty much from uh, the episodes we're looking at are all on prime time. They're all on the network. It's uh, February 13, 20, 27, and then March 6. All of these episodes have uh, at least one, often two promos of these guys going back and forth. And, uh, oh, man, yeah, okay, so we just got to get into this because there's... There's a lot of evidence to, sh- to sift through, and at the end, I don't think we'll be any closer to uh, where we would think the outcome would be, but at least we're going to have a lot of evidence piled up in the evidence room. So We will have evidence, and you know it's, you know what's going on when we start with Jesse Ventura and Randy Savage, and so first of all, shout out to Jesse Ventura because he never turned on Randy Savage for the entirety of of Randy Savage's babyface turn. Yeah. You know, he still respected him. He still talked highly of him. He often mentioned that he was the first person who was a fan of Savage. And now that Savage has crossed that line again, guess who's standing by his side and calling Savage the better half of the mega powers. Yeah. Yeah. Credit to uh, the credibility of Ventura, which we've talked about before. He never came out and just, uh, ugh. and this is what a lot of people, I think, so we've talked about Bobby Heenan versus Jesse Ventura. And I'll say this, as much as I love Bobby Heenan, I think there are a lot more bad Bobby Heenan imitators uh, than there are bad Jesse Ventura imitators out there. Because Heenan 
will turn on somebody in a second, you know, be like, oh, this guy, you know, is great, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll do something he doesn't like. And I'm like, wow, I, I never liked him. I hate that guy, you know? Mm. And when Bobby Heenan does it, like, it's, it, there's a charm to it, you know? It's like part of his character. He's earned it, you know? And he, he makes it work in a way that is great. Um, but most people, when they attempt that, and that is mostly, in my opinion, what heel commentators attempt, um, it comes off just tired and dumb and, you know, I, I, I'm not uh, a fan usually when people attempt that because they're just not nearly as good at it as they should be. So I'm not saying those people would be better at trying to be Jesse Ventura, but Jesse Ventura, you know, he, he, he held a different standard of conversation. You know, he, he would not just turn around and say, well, Randy Savage is good now, so... He's terrible. I never liked him in my whole life. You know, he's like, yeah, the whole time. He's like, oh, yeah, Randy Savage. You know, he and I were partners for a little while. We've always been friends, you know, even now. So there's the credibility of Jesse Ventura. And there's a little glimpse into uh, heel commentating psychology, if you will. Absolutely. I think, too, if you can look past uh, outfits, there really is no gimmick to Jesse Ventura. Like the, the guy that probably will drive anyone crazy. Like, he probably goes to the store, and he's like, you know what, like, the sales price, like, I have the paper at home, the sales price says you get three of these, and here it says two, and it's like the, the person you don't want to see anywhere, so it's not really a gimmick <laughs> that you can really, like, just rip off, like, you you would have to be that type of human being, I think, to even try it well, and you'll see it, because, like, the, the man's going to be the, the flipping governor, you know. Yeah, sure. You know, he is just relentless in who he is. I think it's one of the greatest gimmicks of all time and one of the last people that I would want to have to deal with in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're not wrong. He's a very demanding person at the very (laughs) least. Um, But this is just an example of like how much better to not have a gimmick, but instead to have a personality, um, you know, to have a a character. And this is, you know, I I joked about how everybody's like losing their name, but it's actually, it's a very bad thing in my opinion. You know, eventually we'll come to a point where people are garbage men and, you know, all sorts of, like, they have some job that somehow is a replacement for their character. You know, even the model, even the matador, even, um, you know, guys I like, like the big boss man who make it work. It's like you're, you have a job instead of a character and, uh, and it's a departure from the earlier stuff the stuff that got them super hot in the mid 80s and now we're gonna kind of come into these 90 years very soon and uh, it's gonna be a very different feeling and not not a better one in terms of character i think we're gonna lose some layers lose some nuance and uh, it's not to the credit of those involved i do think maybe that we undervalue escapism and what people want and need when they go to something like this and even if you're a garbage man or if you're a teacher like Dean Douglas, you know, like partly I am. I have come to realize that as an adult of a certain age, I'm never going to be on a stage doing the things that these people are doing. So when I see uh, an image of myself, it doesn't think make me think, oh, I'm team Dean Douglas because that's a teacher. It's like, you know, no, this is one more. Rem- I'm trying to get away from my reality and I don't get this. So why the fuck does Dean Douglas get it? So I, I think that. In a way, I think maybe I understand what they were trying to do, but I, I just don't think that it worked. I mean, clearly it didn't work because uh, we do know that the business will start to trend downwards. So I'm not saying that every 
wrestling fan of this time was like, we demand nuanced storytelling and right. deep layered characters because it's just not true. That's not what people are explicitly asking for. And yet having yeah. those things makes for a richer experience. And when you dumb it down to be, we've talked a lot about this word, but I'm going to use it because you know what I mean. When you dumb it down to be cartoonish, then mm-hmm. uh, people are going to be less interested. They'll be like, ah, this kind of seems dumb now. You know, they're not going to articulate that it's because they don't have the dynamic characters anymore, but it's the difference between seeing a guy whose story you care about and a guy whose story is he used to have another job and now he's still sort of doing this job even though he's a wrestler. You know, it's just yeah. not the same. It's confusing, too. Like, I, they would always show Bob Holly racing and stuff, <laughs> and it's like, it's like you were racing full-time and you're wrestling full-time. Like, really? You're yeah. doing all that? Like, too much. I don't know. <laughs> It's like, well, yeah, like, come on, man, this ain't good for you. I feel bad for you. You need help. Right, yeah. I have one job, and I get tired, you know. Yeah. That's too much, man. Okay, I have a question for you that I have no answer for, so. All right. And you might have a direct answer, but we all know, like, a collective opinion other than probably here and there would say that WWF is not excelling with all the the Duke the Dumpster, Dean Douglas uh, gimmicks. And so that's one extreme. Yeah. Do you recognize or do you argue against or how do you feel about kind of an era where it's like Randy Orton, John Cena? So it's WWF, but everybody's just kind of like a like a, a birth name and almost all gimmick or bit larger than life. And this may or may not be with that. Or do you not see that as a thing? I. Uh, it's tough for me to like. Cena or all this stuff like that's kind of when I came in so I'm not going to stand here and be like that's not good because I do see some I see gimmick and character and I see all sorts of stuff because I'm intimately familiar with that era but I will say um yeah it's definitely possible that there could be something missing from that I mean clearly there was some demand for these like very colorful characters because this is part of what really blew up the WWF at one point and uh, I think it was sort of seen at some point that you know if wrestling is just like two guys in trunks just wrestling each other. Like, that's not necessarily going to thrill everybody. Um, it might better talk about, like, mid-2000s indie, like Ring of Honor or something, which mm. has tons of great matches and definitely has some stuff that people would want to check out, but not that much in terms of, like, gimmick that we would think of or necessarily character. And as much as people kind of in the niche like that... Um, it didn't, you know, it never blew up. It never got, like, so popular. Their company was not, like, a runaway success, even though they had all this great wrestling. So there is some, like, other part of it um, where, you know, you can definitely play it too straight. But even that, like, I don't know. Like, uh, there, there's pluses and minuses, I guess. I think it's harder to pinpoint, like, that extreme in the history of wrestling because there's there's almost always something in terms of, like, the character stuff, the gimmick stuff. So, I don't know. Um, that's my uh, answer off the top of my head, at least. Okay. I don't even know, because I don't think that's my opinion. I don't. Maybe it's nobody's, but I do feel like I've heard someone say it somewhere. So, you know, I'm trying. And also, I'm, I want to make sense of this, because the one thing that I don't want to do is to go into the 90s and these gimmicks and think, okay, so this, this has to be the most inferior part of the whole Legacy series that we're going to do. Because likely it is, but, you know, that's not how we do things here. Um, I'll be shocked. I did live through 1994, 95, 
Uh, I, I lived through the diesel rain. You know, maybe it'll be different this time around, but I do want to kind of because I don't know what we're leaving. Are we leaving like a time of that was higher in gimmick or person? You know, right? Is Hulk Hogan more gimmick or person? Is Randy Savage? That's another thing about this very human breakup is we created a space element for how out of this world and beyond human these guys are. And now we are watching them in one of the ugliest, pettiest human breakups of all time. <laughs> For sure, yeah. I was thinking um, when I was watching Randy Savage, like, oh, we're going to have to talk about the space element again because he's going beyond, like, anything with fire, anything that we've seen. But, man, I don't know. Like, is there a human element, you know, an element yeah. that has nothing to do with the, the, the different forces of nature or even the forces of space? Is there an element that just leaves all that behind and becomes intensely human? I don't know if there is or not, but uh, if there is, we're definitely going to see it here. And it's so hard because part of it I want to say is almost, it's just when you take one of those elements and you have a break and you're on the other side of, you know, but at the same time, the weirdest part is Randy Savage is both going to be almost like he had a breakdown and like he's not well. And there's going to be some moments where he is just obviously spinning in a BS way that makes it look like he's in full control of his capacities and is being kind of petty with something that at other times seems like it, it, it will break him. So is this is complicated stuff it is all. I think we have warned the listeners enough. Uh. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I, I will just definitely say for what we've talked about, um, this is a more human era in my opinion than some of the ones that we will see later. So, uh, so take that for what you will. Um, it's, uh, it, it can cut you deeply if you are invested mm. in this. So I agree. It's so strange. Like, I don't think that would have been my opinion if I'm just looking from afar, but I don't see how, you know, you're always going to have Bruce Beefcake running around. You're going to have that kind of <laughs> stuff, but where, where this company matters in this time, it is more human than it will be in, in some of the other eras. Yeah. There's no stranger narrative to me than the narrative around this entire era because uh, it is nothing like the reality, in my opinion. I've experienced that twice now um, through the Heenan series and now again through this, and it rings uh, even truer as we dive deeply here. There's something, though, that, that we can't leave it like that. Like, not even us, like people beyond us. It's imperative mm -hmm. to the wrestling business because if this is one of those popular errors of all time, and it is, and when we represent it, we represent it poorly. That means if we ever even attempted to pull good things from it to try to produce better errors, we would likely be pulling the wrong things because we don't have the right assessment of what it was. <laughs> Case in point, WCW 94-95, mm -hmm. that initial Hogan era, shows you oh. the worst bastardization of this era and the worst um, possible recreation you could try to do. That's so well said because... If you're not just a wrestling fan saying that Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair are the greatest of all time and they're going to wrestle each other, what in the world else is there? Like Hulk Hogan, there's no human element. They don't they don't penetrate each other's kind of legacies. They even like touch anything real. And then you got Hogan and Brutus, and it's like okay, so someone betray him, but like yeah, it's Brutus. You know, <laughs> it is that WWF will fall into that. Hulk Hogan, you know, will be less and less of the Hulk Hogan. Like it's like you got you start off. With both a Hulk Hogan who is full of spirit and he weighs like 385 pounds. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, then the next year 
he has a little less beer and he weighs 315 pounds. And eventually it'll be 1993 before he leaves and he'll have no spirit and he will weigh 117 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Skinny Hogan is so strange. I like really <laughs> something you said though. Uh, you talked about penetrating each other's legacies. Um, I think as we've been coming along, especially in the early days, uh, a lot of things were very, um, you know, they weren't polished necessarily. They were sort of happening in a rough way and everything was just sort of barreling on and they were putting it all together the best they can as they went. Now we've reached a time where I think aesthetically and in the stories they're telling, things are more polished. They kind of have that sheen to them, but they are not so polished that they can't be penetrated, be changed, be impacted in real ways, in organic ways. And certainly I think by the time we get to Hogan of 94, 95, it is just impossible to, uh, to penetrate, to impact, to make any dent on this figure of Hulk Hogan. And that, that truly, um, is the worst of Hulk Hogan is when he cannot be affected by the yes. things around him, when he is just, uh, unto himself, you know, that's the worst of Hogan, the worst of this era. That's why we don't like guys like Jim Duggan, who nothing has any effect on them, so what's the point of even watching them? This this storyline with Savage, this has a huge impact on Hogan. You can see him changing the things he does because of this storyline, and that that is the richness of an era like this, in my opinion. Yeah, this is only a hunch when I was walking over to the office today, but when Hulk Hogan starts to, to fall, you know, we've been marking 92 down, we've been marking maybe uh, Slaughter, we've been marking Warrior, all this stuff. Partly, I wonder if it begins. Like, I think Savage is going to leave with a piece of Hulk Hogan because mm. Hulk Hogan is never better when he has to defend himself. Like, he doesn't defend himself. Like we're gonna, They're going to make him watch every accusation that Randy Savage has and defend himself. And even though the fans stay with him, like even the idea that maybe he has to defend himself is a step off of what Hulkamania is about. Mm. Yeah, for sure. He might, he might as well throw in, oh, yeah, guys... Uh, I was going to wait till the 90s and go on a talk show, but I also take steroids. That's uh, the fourth. I, I forgot to mention that one. <laughs> you know, like they're, 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 they're pushing against something that you're not supposed to push. And it's good storyline here, but I also wonder, you know, if we're going from here's a lot of stuff, but Hulk Hogan might be sleazy to Hulk Hogan facing the ultimate warrior and losing to Hulk, you know, to this, that, and the other. You know, Hogan is both giving us some of this top story in his top time. But I think you lose something at the same time for it to work. It's possible. It's certainly a very uh, human response. If you have bad things happen to you, you will become uh, more closed off and uh, harder to reach, more just sort of uh, unto yourself. So I don't know. There could absolutely be an element of that here. It was weird to me. I'll just say it. We'll get to it. But even having Vincent Mann, the baby face, ask the questions of Hulk. You know, like, okay, so here's a picture with your hand on her ass. What does that mean, Hulk Hogan? <laughs> you know? Sure, yeah. Oh, so, man. And the fans were almost just quiet during the whole thing. And finally, at the end, Hulk Hogan starts talking about he's going to destroy Randy Savage and take everything from him. And the fans start cheering. But during the whole defense that we'll get to, the fans are really just kind of, you know, quiet. And I don't think they know how to respond right. to Hulk Hogan spending that much time defending his his own honor. Mm, sure. It's, uh, it's like one of your favorite stories with uh, Steamboat and Rick Rude in WCW, mm -hmm. you know, when these accusations come out and these uh, baby faces who are who are so pure have to uh, explain themselves, defend themselves. You know, it's uh, it's always uh, an interesting and maybe a traumatic experience for these baby faces to actually be held accountable. Yeah. 
And even let's just say it was all untrue, and I, you know, we don't have evidence that I. We'll talk about the Hogan one. You know, that one definitely is not all untrue. But even if it were all untrue, the old Wikipedia page or the friends talking about the storyline, you would always have the addition of then Hulk Hogan was accused of X, Y, and Z and defended. You know, and it's just different. Like you know, Paul Wendorf, Andre the Giant. Like look at Andre the Giant. Hulk Hogan just came out and said, you know. Not only did he not defend himself, it's like, you know, you are not only are you a fraud, you were always a fraud when you were with children. And I watched you and I wanted to be like you. You were faking it. You know, and that was the end of the conversation. Yep. This is not. This is Randy Savage saying I've been still for a year and now I am in motion again. And you are going to see me. You are going to hear me and you're going to feel me. And I think I will get started here with Savage. But Savage is already saying I like the momentum. Uh, but I'm telling you, Hulk Hogan, you killed the momentum. So we're back to Savage in motion and Savage on the offense again. Oh, man. And Savage uh, bursting out of his skin practically. Like, the look of Randy Savage is very frightening yeah. in these. Like, he's never been more swollen. He's never been, like, just his eyes freak me out. I think I mentioned. But seriously, he takes off those glasses and it's like his eyes are going to pop out of his head or something. Like, this guy is just full to the brim. With some kind of explosive energy. He is. He is. His head is about the size of his body in, in these. And he is just angry. But it's also smart. It's going to be smart the whole time. If you remember the last Saturday night's main event, Randy Savage said, um, you weren't man enough to ask me for a title shot because you know you can't beat me. Now he says you, you finally asked the question. You got the guts to do so. But it's only when your back is against the wall. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So in this first promo, this February 13th promo, it is Ventura with Savage. Uh, Ventura calls him the better half of the Mega Powers. Um, yeah, Savage says Hogan killed the Mega Powers all by himself, him and him alone, because of the lust in his eyes. Ventura agrees he has also seen this lust that they are talking about. Uh, Macho says his own momentum cannot be stopped. Ventura uh, also agrees that Hogan deep down has jealousy in his gut. Uh, Savage teases to agreeing to a match. He says he will only think about it. He makes Hogan wait. But, of course, we know that match will indeed be agreed to, and it will happen very soon. It's also, how big do the Mega Powers get? Oh, yeah. You know, that when they are divided, you get two th- uh, February 13th, Jesse Ventura with Randy Savage, and you get February 20th, Vince McMahon with Hulk Hogan. So, they both both announcers who agree on nothing know that the one that wins this narrative wins the direction of the company for the next year. And they both are literally like jumping out of the booth to go help things along. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And uh, as always, it is that war of narratives. It's the war of the people backstage as well. I saw um, uh, I didn't watch too much of the primetime like host segments around these promos. But I, I stayed in the, the booth a little for one and goes back after a Randy Savage promo to Gorilla Monsoon. And Gorilla Monsoon's just like, I'm getting tired of watching all these Savage promos. And I'm like, the Hogan promos are the same, but you got to like, oh, oh, it's Savage's fault. And he has the, the bad footage and Hogan has the good footage. And yeah, it's just more narrative yeah. fighting. I somehow heard that. Too. I didn't stay for any of them, but I heard that one as well. And it was that the, the tone was exactly what you gave. And it was just 
all the the utter contempt for Randy Savage. Yep. Oh man, this I will never grill Monsoon. I love him. Um, you know, as as a performer and uh, person, supposed to be very nice as well. But I'll never get over. Andre the Giant, all through 85, 86, start of 87, was like, oh, he's my close personal friend. Like, according to Monsoon, he could never have been closer to anyone than Andre. Mm. Like, they were brothers, practically. And, man, he just threw Andre under the bus immediately as soon as he was against Hulk Hogan. So don't think there is, like, loyalty on the babyface side. Don't think that there's some kind of moral virtue, anything. These guys, you know, they're in their own gang. They're in their own cult, and they'll, they'll throw you to the wolves if you are not in line with what is supposed to be happening. That is scary stuff, and that is often a sign of the side that's been winning the most. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, the side that's been winning can afford just to cast people out, but then what they don't realize is you don't win forever. So, And also, Gorilla Monsoon, you think Hulk Hogan's going to have that same energy for you if you're ever caught sideways, so just, just be <laughs> careful. Be careful, everyone on that side, because... Hulk Hogan, and that's another thing, though. That's why Vincent Man is down there, because it's everyone's job on that side to lift Hulk Hogan back up to where he needs to be. Mm, absolutely. I say this is off topic, but when, it, when when Hogan turns in WCW, I love that Okerlund is there for that, because it's yeah. such a great oh, – it's just it's a great piece of it. I love it. Yeah, and, and, and Hulk Hogan will have his hands on Gene Okerlund, mm. you know, Gene Oakland will be nothing. Like not a not a day of their history will matter at that point. Yep, yep, it's awesome. All right, so we got to go to our our biggest probably um, discussion here of the whole thing on February twenty. Primetime did a big episode where he did a lot of face to face conversations, confrontations between guys who were going to be at WrestleMania, and really like we could have watched any one of these um, and we would have found something interesting, but we only have so much time in our lives, so. Hogan and Savage, their face-to-face conversation is meant to happen. Vince McMahon tells us Randy Savage has refused to appear, but he has sent some comments to be played. So right away we know these guys aren't going to be face-to-face here. They will be at Saturday night's main event, but uh, here they're not actually going to be in the same room together. Yeah, you know, it's something you might think at first to let down, but... This is where it begins, where Hulk Hogan is forced to watch tape. He's heard, he's forced to hear accusations. So I think I think Randy Savage, who knows he's going heel, he knows who the fans are going to uh, cheer. I think he did the exact right thing. Like I'm not going to be there. Hulk Hogan's going to stand in front of everybody, but he's still going to have to see and hear every accusation while he stands in front of that audience. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. So we'll go right into it. We see the the clips of Savage comments. He says uh, he should have known from the beginning what Hogan was up to. He plays some clips. He shows Hogan saying, uh, Liz is my lady, too. <laughs> he says, oh, it's stuck in my throat, but I swallowed it anyway. And that's going to be a recurring theme of Randy Savage's comments. Uh, he points out times when he, he says Hogan was trying to steal his spotlight. He says Hogan's poses are stupid. And he <laughs> reminds Hogan of uh, his plan at SummerSlam to get Liz to take her clothes off. And, man, I don't know. Like, we're going to see more of this clip, but, man, it sure seemed from this clip to me like it really was Hogan's plan, like he's the one who pitched this. And I remember I even wondered about that at the time, who pitched this idea backstage. And it sure seemed to me like it might have been Hogan, so Savage might have been right about that. Uh, Savage, he swallowed that too, but he couldn't swallow 
is this, and you mentioned it. We see a clip of Hogan, you know, <laughs> touching Liz's ass at SummerSlam, yeah. and there's video footage of that. And, uh, oh, man. Savage asks Hogan what he will tell his Hulkamaniacs when Hulkamania is dead. This is Savage so intense that I didn't yeah. know what was going to happen. Like, he was going to pop something. So there's something real, real intense and emotional going on here. Yeah, and no matter what the intention was, in the reality, uh, Hansy Hulk Hogan has kind of taken Elizabeth from Savage. Like, the relationship is not the same. So I do like that he ends this with, uh, you know what? What are you going to tell the Hulkamaniacs? So he's saying, now I am going to ruin the relationship that you have. I am going to destroy you. I am going to end. You know, you came right into my camp, my world, you know, and, and blew it up. And this is Randy Savage. This is an all-out campaign to try to blow up the spot that Hulk Hogan has because Hulk Hogan leaves this relationship secure. Randy Savage's world is insecure. <laughs> For sure. And this is where a lot of this falls apart on Hogan's side, I think. He's, he's going to come out in all of these and he's going to basically say, oh, this is all your idea. You're the one who wanted Liz to, like, be stripped and you're the one who, you know, wanted Liz to be in my corner. And I'm like, okay, let's stop and let's think – but everything we know about Randy Savage, does this ring true that he would want these things to happen? Uh, absolutely not. Every piece of evidence indicates that he would not be into any of this stuff. But Hogan, every piece of evidence indicates he would be very into all of this stuff. So, you know, it's not proof, it's circumstantial. But uh, you look at the context of this relationship, and I think maybe it reveals a little something. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, but on the flip side to me, it reveals just as much on the other side because uh, one of the great things, like the thing that I feel like Randy Savage was robbed of is he was world champion. He was the man. He was the guy to call the shots. So even if all of it was Hulk Hogan's idea, you're the heavyweight champion. You're the one who's jealous in your relationship and you went along with it. And Liz went along with it, and none of you had nothing to say. You were high-fiving and shaking hands on the floor at SummerSlam. Like, what in the world made you go along with it, and how the hell do you get mad now? Yeah, no, it's a great point. It's a very good point. Nobody held a gun to Randy Savage's head and said, you need to let this stuff happen. Uh, you know, he could have uh, declined in a way that would not be so explosive and so damaging to his personal relationships. Um I don't know. I think it goes back to what I, I what we've talked about before, is that Randy Savage was really desperate to become like Hulk Hogan, to become this kind of character who would be okay with these things. But you know what? When you push against your own nature for too long, your nature is probably going to blow up in some unexpected way, and that's doubly true for a guy like Randy Savage. Yeah, Hulk Hogan is not trying to be okay with any of these things. Hulk Hogan is okay with these things. Like, you know, there's no, there's no sweat. There's no, like, nighttime reflection going on. And that, But that's also, this is why this is so good, because nine out of ten of these things, it's like, like Hulk Hogan, you know, like, you knew what you were doing. But right. there is this piece of Hulk Hogan who is just, like, naive meets pervert meets uh, opportunity, <laughs> where, like, I really can't see him saying, like, you know, like, man, I thought we were having, like, this great sexual moment in the ring where we all were going to strip our clothes off and be one in the mega powers. And now you're telling me, oh, my God, I was seeing it wrong, you know, like, legit, like, he doesn't understand. Like, he wanted to see, like, when he says, I don't know where this is in the notes, uh, he was envious. Oh, God. The only thing that was happening is he was envious 
of Savage and Liz when Savage had Liz on his shoulder because he wanted to be sitting on the other shoulder. That is like the dumbest argument I've ever heard, <laughs> and I think it might be kind of true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, definitely the the strangest, most unexpected moment of all of this is this is this comment. He definitely does a weird round about how he wanted to be the one sitting on Randy Savage's shoulder. So it's just like, (laughs) if that's what you really want, fine. But like, either you've been hiding your true feelings very well all this time, or you're just making up some weird stuff on the spot. Or I don't even know if there's a third option, but it's such a strange comment. And of course it's Hogan. So he says it with such like confidence. Like, of course, this is very matter of fact. So I don't know what it says about this relationship. This is, you know, people talk about toxic relationships, and man, like, on screen and off, Hogan and Savage couldn't have been more toxic with each other, because they're just, man, they're, they're, their actions and their words are just getting to the point of being ridiculous. Yes, they are. They That is the thing that, again, I'll say a hundred times, is I don't, I don't think either come out better for this, and that's, that's sad, uh, but it's also reflective of what happens when the things like this keep going on. Um, Everything that I say in this episode does not change the fact that I know that Hulk Hogan it was always Hulk Hogan's plan to be the world champion. He probably never saw Savage as a world champion. You know, he said some of this stuff out loud during the feud. Um, but I'll, I'll ask you this question. If Randy Savage was not in this program, let's say somehow in this strange world, the heavyweight champion of the WWF was Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Oh, God. And Brutus Beefcake was managed by his wife or, or romantic interest. And Hulk Hogan became the mega powers. How do you think the three of them might behave together in the ring after victories? I mean, I assume Brutus Beefcake would just offer up his wife and like <laughs> leave quietly, you know, because that's their relationship. So it's not. Uh, oh, boy. I don't even want to think about all that. I just say that though, we have we have really dealt with Savage's super duper conservative and jealous and boundaries. Yeah. And Hulk Hogan, I don't think we have brought out enough that, you know, you can, you can take TV or you can take actual real life. Hulk Hogan and friends, um, you know, Hogan is a man without a lot of boundaries. I'll oh, put it yeah. that way. So they are coming from very, very different worlds. It doesn't mean Hogan wasn't screwing him. It doesn't mean at times that he, Savage, was not responsible. But I think if both men were, were to try to be as innocent and as forthright as they could, I don't know if they could honestly find a place of agreement for them both to stand and be happy in that position. At this point, I'm not convinced that all three of them weren't screwing each other. And I mean that in every (laughs) sense of the word based on this promo. But yeah, I mean, Hulk Hogan and boundaries. Yeah, I mean, he does have his own boundaries that you're not allowed to cross. Yeah, if you have boundaries, holy shit, does he not care about those boundaries? Like he'll break them on purpose. That's like his whole deal. So, okay. All right. Absolutely. When it comes to his money, when it comes to his image, <laughs> absolutely. So, you know, I, in, in that point, and then we can move on till we bump into it again. I just meant uh, in the way that possibly, mm. you know, I think, I, I think all Hulk Hogan, I think could live in a world where every friend is a friend with benefits and he would, he could ride that wave <laughs> uh, rather easily. I think so. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't get in any of these clips, but I know at one point he talks a lot about hanging and banging um, yes. with Elizabeth. So that I think that tells you about Hogan's lifestyle a little bit. Because um. he's got a lot of nerve. I will give him that. And he will say things just to screw with Savage, and I think he did it. But, like, 
again, it's got to be on both of them. Because how many times, like when Savage is showing this video, how many times does the man, if it bothers you, how many times does he need to stand in front of you and talk about how much he loves your wife or your your partner <laughs> or you know, pretty much, well, I'm gonna take her. Or when you're not here, I'll, I'll stand in for you and do everything you do, Savage. You know, because Savage like has that little head shake like for years, like just like that snap of his neck, but. You know, you still went along with it and we'll complicate it later because then Savage will make a claim later that Liz is the one that wanted this the entire time. And that's the only reason he kept going on with it. So <laughs> a lot going on here. Now, Savage has a couple of different stories, which does not uh, lend his credibility that well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you have a responsibility on some level to uh, communicate what you want and what you don't want. And if you just sit yeah. on that. Then at some point you lose some right to uh, jump up and be offended by what happened, you know. So I don't know. That's a complicated question that I don't even want to get into. But um, we want to we want to go on with this promo. Um, Hogan comes out to be interviewed by McMahon. He's in front of all the fans. Uh, he says it's no surprise Savage wouldn't show his face after the way he acted towards him and Elizabeth. He uh, makes the argument that ah, I only wanted Liz to be my manager. Nothing emotional, nothing physical. You twisted the story. Uh, he goes to some of the clips that Savage showed. He shows more of them, and sometimes it changes the story, and sometimes maybe not so much. Uh, I'll say this. In this whole feud, um, context is important, and at times I think Savage is definitely hiding the right context. But subtext is also important, and at times I think Hogan is the one very much uh, denying some very obvious subtext in these clips. Absolutely. When Hogan comes out with stuff like, here's a couple of examples, the way you turned on me, the way you turned on Elizabeth, that is empty rhetoric that is just it's an accusatory with nothing else. And then, like, the fact that you not being here shows all I need to know. Well, maybe it's all you need to know, but, like, other people might need to know more. <laughs> oh, man. At one point, some of these claims by Hogan are just at least as ridiculous, because at one point it's like, yes. oh, I was never hot dying and showboating i was never showing off and to prove this he shows a clip of one time where he pointed at randy savage and i'm like that doesn't prove that you weren't also like completely showing off because you <laughs> yeah. are every time you do anything so you know oh man okay oh, we'll pause this for one second because the one thing that i think WWF told one of the greatest stories of all time, and they had to know for a year and set this thing up in every single space. So the one thing that does bother me just a little bit in telling the greatest story of all time, almost one of these great stories, is I partly think we got these weeks of videos and explanation just for them to hot dog and show off like how good their story was and how they had layers in it the whole time. Yeah, I mean, to a point, but... Uh you got to keep it hot. You got to keep it in people's mind. You don't want them in the ring together. You don't want them being physically together very much. So, yes. uh, you know, I, I, I see what you're saying, but I like it. I, I appreciate it for what they're doing. I like storylines where you can pull on like lots and lots of threads. Maybe it gets a little repetitive, but, uh, I, I don't know. I'm still very much into it. Yeah. And here's another one that Hulk Hogan says, uh, about the hot dog and all that. Now I know how warped your thinking is. But he's also going to argue at other times that he's known for many, many months. So, like, do you, are you just discovering this because of what he's doing? Or did you know half the time? And, again, the same way I call Savage out, there's no excuse for Randy Savage to have tolerated this if, as the world champion, especially. Because if you've been challenger, 
or like Hogan was champion, you're just trying to exist in his world, that's one thing. But then the other side is true. If Hulk Hogan understood for months that this thing was going to blow up and Savage was not genuine, why did you continue the charade? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we know on Hogan's part, like that's his M.O. You know, for a week he'll be surprised. And then after that, it's like this reality has always been true, you know, and I just had some unknown reason for playing along, you know. He did it with Andre like he was so hurt <laughs> for like a week and he was so shocked. And then he was like, oh, you've always been a stinky giant, you know, and it's just like reality just changes around in this guy's head. So, um, so that's one part on the part of Savage. I agree with what you're saying, but I would also say even as world champion, Savage was forced to try to exist in Hogan's world. And he still, even as champion, did have some disadvantage. And that's not really an excuse because Savage could have asserted himself at any time and at least tried to. But then, you know what, he probably would have lost the title a lot sooner, too. So, you know, there's there's pluses and minuses to all of it. So then that means the world title is more important than your relationship and your integrity around it. I think that's what Savage would need to uh, ask himself. And I don't yeah. think he knew the answer to that question. Like we said before, I don't think Savage plans ahead uh, really ever very much. You know, he doesn't know if he's going to slap you or shake your hand. So this is a guy who's trying to ride the tiger of his own mind. You know, not let go of the tail. He's just trying to go where it leads him. And, you know, it's not a good excuse. It's not a good way to live. But it does explain his behavior somewhat. And... Yeah, and then I think the hardest part is the, the secret weapon, because now we're bringing out, like, actual footage and video of Hulk Hogan. And this is where he goes uh, to his response, which is, all I, all I wanted was, to, I got every word underlined here, all I wanted was to be on your shoulder next to Liz. <laughs> I'm going to let our listeners figure out what that means beyond what we've already said, because I don't know what else we could say about that. Also, in this same response, though, is something that is almost more ridiculous. I won't say it's more ridiculous, but almost. He shows the clip of him touching Liz's ass. He shows it. He willingly shows this clip of this happening. And his defense is, oh, look, right after that, I picked up the title and I handed it to you. Yeah. And I'm like, buddy, that does not... That doesn't cancel out the other thing. Like, what are you talking about? Oh, my God. Especially, but he probably didn't want your hand on his, on his WWF championship either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, very true. Hogan, okay. yeah, you call him Hansy Hogan. He's got to put his hands on everything. Yeah. Sure. Let's play that game for a minute. Hulk Hogan, during the relationship, said that he was always really the world champion, and the fans never uh, saw him as anything but. So... That means you picked up the title and handed it to him, but you already believed you were already still the champion. So what does it mean about your hand on Liz? Mm -hmm. And and he says, oh, I handed you the title. Guess what? He handed it to Liz. He never gave it to uh, Liz anyway. <laughs> so it's not okay. even true, the thing he's saying. You know, it's like, ah, okay, all right, buddy. <laughs> if this was a spoof, I would have the whole Kogi just like – I. Play, go back to that clip again, and we just keep going back to his hand on Liz's ass, and he's like, oh, go back one more time. I think I missed something, and he just, you know. <laughs> oh, Hulk Hogan will be Hulk Hogan, folks. Oh, man. He's friends with Oakland oh. for a reason. We know that. So, this is a strange – I think if I watch this from afar, because what we're building to when we get to Saturday night's main event is the decision by Liz, and I would almost think the world title's on the line. The Mega Powers blew up. Like, why are we spending the last thing – but there is an element of Liz in this. Like, Liz, as someone who's often considered passive, 
Liz has a lot of agency in the forming of the mega powers and her relationship with Hulk Hogan and her relationship with Randy Savage. Mm. So while these two go back and forth and back and forth, there is more than these two in this situation. Yeah, I mean, um, you kind of reference it as well. What's more important in this world title or, uh, you know, a human relationship with a very important person in your life and that both guys kind of have to answer that. And, you know, one of them has a deep relationship with Liz and the other one is Hulk Hogan. So, you know, it, it's up to you to decide who that is more yeah. important to. But, um, yeah. It's also interesting now that you say that. The Savage said, you know, you were never man enough to ask me for a title shot because you knew I would beat you. Yeah. But Randy Savage... You know, you never cut off the relationship or put your foot down about anything. Is it because you were afraid that Hulk Hogan would defeat you? Yeah, yeah. It's a very valid question. Uh, to wrap this up, Hogan confirms something that I think you said first, that he praises Randy Savage for waiting until WrestleMania yeah. to blow this up. So you were dead yeah. on. The Hogan, Hogan didn't want to rush this. He wanted to do it at the right time. So maybe that lends credence to the idea that he uh, knew for a long time. But, uh... Yeah, we're going to go to WrestleMania, and he says he's going to ruin the Macho Man. Mm. Number one, that is what Hulk Hogan is better at. Like, Hulk Hogan might be the best rhetorician, but he is the best businessman, and this was never going to happen. Like, Randy Savage could have actually betrayed him and taken his wife and taken his, even his Hulkamaniacs, and be like, brother, I am pissed off, but I got to go away for six months and three days, but I will be back in March, brother. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, Hogan certainly understands timing. We see that in his matches and in his behaviors, so he's definitely got that all put together in his mind. Absolutely. I think we're moving to 227. Yep, that's right. February 27, we have a, a Savage promo and a Hogan promo, and they're going back and forth. And to be, I'm sure, honestly, there are even more promos that we haven't seen, because they really did go to, like, a whole war of clips and propaganda and dissecting the whole previous year so i'm sure there's even more that we're going to talk about but we're we're only humans we're going to talk about the stuff that's in front of us so uh we go to savage first he recalls hogan begging savage to let liz manage him to let him come to the ring savage says he was unselfish and he let him do it but hogan immediately betrayed him by lifting up the ropes to let Liz get in the ring. That was just to show him up. Opening the ropes is Liz's job. It's what she gets paid for. You shouldn't go in there and do it the <laughs> other way. That's just to make me look like I'm not a gentleman. Um, <laughs> he, he flips out that Hogan picked up Liz and put her on his own shoulder, where she's never been before, on the <laughs> shoulders of another man. And here, please read shoulders as something else, because I think we all understand the subtext that he's getting at. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, and we also see Savage showing a clip of Hogan uh, picking up Liz and twirling her around at Survivor Series right after Randy Savage got beaten to a pulp while Hogan was uh, handcuffed on the outside. So um, so interpret that as well for what you will. And Savage ends by, again, looking like he's just going to absolutely explode out of his skin. I can't stress enough how disturbing the look of Randy Savage is in these promos. This, no, no, yeah, uh, we can't do justice to the visuals. Those are what you need to see. But there, to me, there are several important threads because the negative nuclear script of Randy Savage is you made a fool out of me. And he says that two or three times in his promo. You wanted to make a fool out of me. And 
Savage is always on the edge of possibly being made a fool of. And so that's very important. And then this is also, it's just hard to, like, you put Elizabeth where she's never been before on top of another man's shoulder. You can read that and almost laugh at the absurdity. And you can also read that and just be heartbroken uh, for at least the right or wrong, the mental state of Randy Savage, how he sees things. And it's also why they were playing with fire from the very beginning. Whether Savage tried to go along, whether he tried to be Hulk Hogan, a man that's going to say those words out loud and feel like he feels was never going to be able to win at this. And then he says the only reason this kept on going is because Elizabeth wanted to keep the mega powers together. And I think about a Randy Savage of no motion, a Randy Savage that almost be, became not Randy Savage anymore because perhaps he wasn't just trying to please Hulk Hogan. He's trying to please Elizabeth, and he sees, like, Elizabeth wants this. She wants this team. She wants Hulk Hogan around. Hulk Hogan wants this. And so the only odd man out is Randy Savage. So if he did blow it up, not only is he losing the title, but maybe in his mind he's also losing Elizabeth. Mm, yeah, no kidding. Savage, like, <laughs> this partnership definitely was never going to work because all through Randy Savage's career, he's driven by insecurity. So how can you imagine that he won't be insecure here? You know, we've talked many times about how he motivates and inspires himself by basically putting Liz in danger and uh, his insecurity flares up, makes him try harder. It blows up his relationship here. It makes him go crazy for the next few years. Even when he turns face, he's fueled by insecurity to fight Ric Flair because of these doctored photos they're going to bring out. Um, he has to go to WCW and, and be insecure there as well and do all these things. And, you know, it, it's his entire personality that he's going to have this crippling insecurity. So how is this ever going to work? How did it not blow up months earlier? That's the real question. Yeah. It's a tale as old as time in some ways that all of us in some way, we want to climb a ladder and get higher than we've been before, go further into a new class, into a new realm. And the way to do that almost is to say that everything that I have in my life, I choose to devalue so I can obsessively value and focus what is beyond me and often the the narrative will be if you ever get to that place you so sell out parts of yourself that you were that you gain that world and you lose everything that you had and then you had better the thing that you were guessing at had better have more value than the things you actually had and took for granted and here i don't really think that anything randy savage could have claimed could have acquired was going to make up for what he was going to lose at the end of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What a, what a conflict, what a feud, what a clash of personality. It's too late to say what Randy Savage says at the end here. You won't steal my thunder and you won't steal Elizabeth and you won't steal the WWF title. Unfortunately, I think he's kind of right. Hogan's not going Hogan is no longer going to steal these things. Randy Savage, you have kind of relinquished them. So, <laughs> Yeah, you've um, yeah, yeah. I'll be curious. You mentioned it too. I want to see what Liz does after WrestleMania because I honestly don't think she's with Hogan uh, very long, if at all. So it's not like he's gonna get Liz. Um, but Liz ain't gonna be with Savage, that's for sure. No. It had to be attractive to Liz as someone who was controlled as much as she was mm. to be like, oh, now you get to manage two people. And imagine being Liz, like you know, where Hulk Hogan does hold the rope for you, you know. So 
I this is why this again this is a great story because all you got to do is tell me right we're moving the camera to someone else's reason and someone else's being and I can kind of see it differently every single time. <laughs> That's true. Um, I'll probably speak more on this later, but man, I'll just take a minute to say, Liz, she's not going to stand in either man's corner, and holy crap, is that the right decision? Like imagine being Liz and going with either one of these guys. Jesus, I would I would run for the hills. I would go manage Tito Santana. Like we yeah. were talking about, a guy who won't be friggin' insane and uh, possessive and uh, make up new realities to justify himself. You know, get away from both these guys, Liz. It, it's not good. It's not healthy. And that's what she, and Matt, God knows this is good stuff because next time we really, really see her beyond this feud, I think is going to be as a fan in the crowd. I feel like there's some other stuff that we might see but yeah that's definitely like in the narrative her next big appearance and that's not for uh, like two years so yeah with with the uh, uh, i don't know is she in the sherry feud is that what that is i'm not sure i don't want to say but we'll see okay. what happens i just have a vague sense that she's uh, around so we'll that see. would make more sense yeah. but either way the idea of her sitting in the crowd yeah. you know both hulk hogan and randy savage have created a world where like, it's not even worth it to be in it anymore. Right, right. And that's, like, a, a great victory all the way around, folks. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, you know, I would say run. Oh, man. Yeah. Man, Ooh. if you were a heel and you could have got her to be your manager at that time and you come out at some point and lay out both Hogan and Savage and walk away with Liz, you, you would have been. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's no, only Andre could have done that. Yeah. He wasn't interested, so. <laughs> I think Andre has to be careful because I'm sure people fall in love with him everywhere he goes, so. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think he would do that to Liz. He's not Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, all right. Um, so we get Savage's response to this, and Savage is so disgusted by Savage's. Uh, Hogan is disgusted by Savage's edited footage. And, man, that is – okay, all right, buddy. <laughs> um, a lot of edited footage on both sides here. Hogan, of course, claims it was all Savage's idea to have Liz uh, go down to the ring with him. And, uh, oh, he was just doing what came natural and treating her like a lady when he opened the ropes. So, of course, you know, this is um, – clearly you're holding on to some resentment from uh, long before this actually blew up because clearly you thought Savage was not treating her like a lady – he didn't say anything. You were just passive-aggressive about it. So, okay, all right, sure, sure. Um, Hogan says, putting Liz up on his shoulder. Oh, well, that's just what Savage would have done. So, you know, I was just doing what came natural to me and what you would have done. And his whole argument this whole time is that his relationship with Liz is supposed to be different than Savage's. And yet his defense is, oh, I was just doing exactly what you would have done. And it, it makes no sense. Come on, man. Come on, Hogan. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so this is another one that I will say makes no sense, and part of it is probably 100% true. <laughs> so, <laughs> number one, he starts off with this nonsense that only comes from Hogan. Like, oh, the blade in my gut, you're twisting. Like, he'll give you the, anytime he's giving these graphic words that are beyond, like, what really is happening, just know, like, like he's playing you, and this is a way to say nothing. But then we get into this. It was your idea to send Liz. I highly, 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 highly would put my money, any money I got on it, that that was not Savage's idea. Yeah. You know, 
just isn't. But then when he says it just came, I just did what came naturally. I believe that a hundred percent. Like I believe when he like picked Liz up, I believe when he grabbed her ass, I believe a bunch of stuff <laughs> that just came naturally to him. So like, there's no argument with that, but you know, and that's the power of Hulkamania though, is that Hulk Hogan just does what comes naturally. And, and if you don't like it, you're the one with the problem. Uh, so that I agree with. Then the rest of it, it's just the worst argument of all time. Because, again, like, it was like you were right there with me. Can you imagine? Let's just, well, shit. So when they were, I hate to even ask this. Uh, I'll, well, I'll ask this really quick just because I'm curious. You might not know. But right. when there was a recording of Hulk Hogan, I think, uh, having sex with the wife or girlfriend of his yep. friend. Mm-hmm. Was his friend, like, his friend was also aware of it, right? I believe so, yes. Okay, so then again, all right, here we go. So when he was with Liz doing what he did, he's, he's like Randy Savage is right there with him. It's his, uh, and it's another one. Like, that's not a good excuse, but also Hulk Hogan. He's still doing right. what comes natural. That's just his <laughs> yeah. idea. Yeah, so. Still doing what comes natural. But then at the end, you just got to say the thing. Like, I was doing uh, the same thing you would have done. They're in a fucking romantic relationship. So that's why they do what they do. And beyond that, even if it was just business, that's their iconic thing. That is their like hand to the ear. That is their. So either way, you don't do what they would do because you're not Randy Savage and you're not Elizabeth and you're not in the relationship. And I know how old fashioned it is that some people pair off and create boundaries. But by God, they created one that even as the mega powers tag team, sorry, you're not in. And you don't get to just say, you know, oh, I saw you doing that one time. You know, can you imagine, like, brother, last night I was with your wife, and it, I know you didn't know about that, but, like, it was like you were there. Like, I felt your presence there. And don't worry, I did everything just like you would have done it. You know, are we good now? We're not good, Hulk Hogan. We're not good. <laughs> yeah. <it's... sighs> yeah, I... They, uh... I was just, it was like you were there. I don't know. You can't, yeah. you can't defend it. It's just, it makes no sense. Come on, buddy. Uh, uh, Hogan accuses Savage of uh, a jealousy that is like a cancer that he can't cut out. He now calls on the Hulkamaniacs to get in power, and I'm surprised he didn't say Savage stabbed his Hulkamaniacs in the gut either. But he does promise that the uh, Megapires exploding will leave people lifeless in their seats. And then I think he says he's going to bring them back to life, like resurrect them. So, again, we have some uh, Christ-like claims from Hulk Hogan. And I'll let you interpret those as you will. Yeah. And those are the moments that I really can't deal with Hulk Hogan is if you want to defend Hulk Hogan, you almost have to do it. He's a competitor and he wants to be world champion. And he's prioritizing the belt. But if, it, if there's going to be any decency in the man, he should win. If he if he wins at WrestleMania five, it should come with a tear in his eye and nothing but a hope that he hasn't damaged Randy Savage as a human being or his relationship. Every time that he mentions wanting to destroy Randy Savage's whole world, like there's no cause in any universe for that. And there's something deeply wrong that he can blow up uh, the spot of a human being who was his supposedly his best friend for a year and do it with righteous indignation. That is where the line, I, I can't even pretend to go over there to try to defend what's on the other side of that line. Yeah. 
is where Hulk Hogan's uh, self-righteousness definitely comes to the fore, because uh, you can say however much or however little we want that Randy Savage misbehaved in this whole uh, scenario, but at the end of the day, you have severely disrupted this guy's life, whether you meant to or not, and yeah, supposedly he was your greatest friend and ally, and uh, there's there's no attempt at remorse or anything, it's all, you know, I was always right, I was completely moral, you know, even when I did these things that are on video, and, uh, you know, now I'm just going to ruin you and destroy you and uh, blow you up and you'll be lifeless, and, you know, there's just, uh, <sighs> yeah, I don't know, it's, um, at least, uh, I'll say at least he didn't say that he and all his Hulkamaniacs were gonna take Elizabeth out on a date afterwards, so there, there's that. <laughs> There's that. The Hogamaniacs never get anything out of the deal anyway. <laughs> it's true. Only bad things happen to them. You're right. For sure. Yeah, they're about to die again. They, <laughs> but that's a, uh, it's a sickness, but I think that's part of what works is that, that these Hogamaniacs, you know, they, they really buy in. I think that, you know, they live, their life and death is in the hands of this man. Just their death, I think. Because, yeah, yeah only bad things ever happen. They're the ones who are going to fall into the sea when Hulk, they're the ones who will be without oxygen unexpectedly when he's fighting Andre, you know? So if Hulk Hogan, you know, if he has like a nice dinner or something, you won't taste that dinner, but man, if someone stabs him, like you'll be bleeding. So. Oh man, that's good. That's good. <laughs> oh, Hulk Hogan. It's hard to be a Hulkamaniac. I can't imagine, you know, I want to say like props to anyone who's a Hulkamaniac. You live a dangerous life. I know that I have talked to people who uh, kind of run their own businesses, and they have, they have said at times that like when someone starts a business, the inclination is often uh, to sell their services cheap so you can be cheaper than someone else and you can get that business. And they said there's a lot of people who would not buy your service because they say, well, if it only costs that much, it can't be worthwhile. But if you almost charge a little bit beyond even what other people are charging people are like oh my god that's got to be high end and i feel like part of the reason hulk hogan dominated the 1980s is because he charged a high high price on being a hulkamaniac and so any other fandom you can come in and out of and there's no big deal but the high price in some weird way is what i think made hulkamaniacs stay with hulk hogan because they knew hey i better not step out of line here yeah, all the other baby faces are like asking fans to come along with them. Hogan's like, "You're already coming along. You might die. It's fine. I'll resurrect you, maybe, uh, if I remember." So, I wonder. Yeah, you don't meet a lot of people now who are fans like from this period to today. And the ones you do meet, I feel like they're like, "Well, I was more into like Randy Savage or Ricky Steamer, you know, whoever." Some yeah. besides Hogan. So I wonder, did they all just die like as promised? Yeah. You know, did Hogan kill them with like this psychic connection? I don't know. It's possible. That's a that's a hell of a question. Um, <laughs> I think, like being serious, uh, Hulk Hogan talking about taking steroids. I think when he had to confess it, I think that mattered. Yeah. Because number again, if you're buying into high brand, it's because you think that brand has a service that no other brand has, and part of that was integrity. Trying to say your prayers, take your vitamins. Uh, even bash at the beach. I wonder if you're a Hulk Hogan fan, and Hulk Hogan tells you. Uh, to stick it and that you're trash, you know, and that you you fail, like you were to blame. Like I said, I don't know how you take that. And then WCW goes out of business. It's so strange because then who are all the fans that that, that ended up like kind of turning on the rock and going with Hulk Hogan when they wrestled? 
Sure, yeah. I mean, clearly a lot of them stuck around. You talked about even your brother, um, you know, still yeah. a, like a Hogan guy. And that's, man, a couple quick thoughts on that. One, um, I guess this is what now uh, WWE ostensibly at least wants to avoid is people who are fans of the guy instead of the brand because you could say like they were not WWF fans they were not wrestling fans they were just Hogan fans and you know when Hogan wasn't around or wasn't as popular then you know they weren't there anymore so so there's something to that and then uh, on the other side of it I think if you look at kind of the fad nature of wrestling and you know it is sometimes it's popular sometimes it's not like it's a fad at times Hogan is like the face of the fad part of it. Like, you know, after him, it was Ninja Turtles. After him, it was Power Rangers. And most mm. people don't like those things forever. A few people do, but most people don't. So, like, when the fad part of it is over, you sort of just drift away. So, I don't know. There's a few different ways you can look at Hulk Hogan fans. Um, but there's okay. definitely was a lot of them out there at one point. Yeah, you think about, like, they used to have those stuffed animal wrestling buddies, and Hulk Hogan sure. had one. You know, at what age do you say is I either I put the wrestling buddy in the attic or I throw it out? You know, right? So you probably don't probably, and no judgment because let's all live our lives how we want to. But you, most people probably don't take it with them throughout the the duration. Yeah, sure. Most people definitely <laughs> aren't like us. Most people give up wrestling, you know, at a, at a certain point. They're just like, ah, this is just kind of silly, and you know, I'm gonna look at other things you know i'm gonna look at real sports or look at tv shows or my career you know god knows what people look at but yeah you know there's nothing wrong with that wrestling is kind of a silly fluffy thing but uh it's also very rewarding for people like us so you know i definitely can't say anything bad about it i think too too though we just hit the reality of the rhetoric because sure. the rhetoric is so absurd <laughs> but did he not really take them on a ride that if you were a Hulkamaniac, you probably did fall into the earth and then probably did die at one point and maybe you came back to life at another time when he came back. So weirdly, all this absurd rhetoric is also prophetic of the kind of decade and a half that was coming after it. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know, people will follow Hogan over to WCW, give him their, their best success ever. People will follow him to the NWO, make that a huge thing. Like you said, and they'll, they'll follow him against The Rock. I'll probably follow him to SummerSlam with Shawn Michaels and, you know, yeah. all beyond. And there are still people, you know, Hogan is not that popular nowadays, and I think uh, deservedly so in many ways. But there's still some people who are like, yeah, you know, Hulk Hogan, Hulk rules, you know, they, they, they still exist. So. Yeah, this is a lifetime journey. And again, he created a, it's an imagination to it because the the fact that you can use words and images to create a space that lasts that long, yeah. like that's not an easy thing to do. Because I love Randy Savage, but I don't think you can talk about Macho Madness the same way. You sure as hell can't talk about whatever the Ultimate Warrior is going to sell us in a year. Like <laughs> You can't look a decade and a half and say, you know, even the name of the Hulkamaniacs, as much as that, you know, that that names you as a person. Right. You know, so there, there's there's, a, there's something that cannot be understated in the rhetoric and the imagination and just the space defining and creating power yeah. of words and images and symbols. Yeah. And I'll just say this. I, I'll make my last thought on this and then we should move on with these promos in the show. But reinforced to me over and over again as I actually watch this in real time is there is nobody in wrestling history 
like Hulk Hogan. There is nobody as important in wrestling history as Hulk Hogan. Not even Steve Austin, not even The Rock, not anybody that you could possibly think of. Uh, you ask people to name a wrestler in 2020, I guarantee you on the street they're going to say Hulk Hogan uh, majority of the time. Um, you know, he's just, uh, he is the uh, most iconic figure in it. He's, he's bigger than wrestling. He's part of pop culture in a way that uh, no other wrestler really is. And, um, yeah, you just, you, you can't deny that, however you might feel about it. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things I'll, I'll throw in there is, number, I saw him the other, when he was wrestling Haku, and I was like, this man has a giant mustache and a bald head. <laughs> and, like, nine times out of ten, I don't even see that because... What he created, it's hard to even see, like, the human being. Like, there's, there's like, a, a million force fields before you see, like, just who the actual person is. Yeah, who the hell is Terry Belia, you know? Yeah. Nobody knows. <laughs> you know, and so that's something. You know, like, it's a weird thing to say. I don't want but, you know, like, we all have our insecurities. Like, he could have just been a guy sitting at home being like, you know what, I'm big and I've got a big body. But, like, I'm also, you know... I, mean, I kind of look weird, you know. I kind of kind of look weird here. I mean, I got the scarecrow hair on the sides and back, and no hair on the top. Like that could be enough to defeat some human beings. Sure. You know, but instead he's out there building this thing. And then number two, and maybe I'll change my mind in ten years, in ten WWF years. Uh, but because Steve Austin, there's so much iconic stuff about what he did and and the odds of him doing it. But at least in this moment, and we are prisoners of the moment right now. But in this moment. Oh man, I used to so easily be like, "Oh man, Steve Austin outdid Hulk Hogan." You know, he was bigger than Hulk Hogan. And right now, even saying that out loud, I I feel like I ought to slap myself to say it because it's just I don't think it's true. And at least in this moment, it's a hundred years from being true. So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. But dear God, I think the only person I wonder what John Cena would have been like in in the eighties is my is a thing that I wonder about. But aside from that, like John Cena was born out of season, but <laughs> he's got, he's got some of the same BS uh, ways of being that Hulk Hogan has. I think that could have worked well. It is the, uh, the eternal question. Yeah. John Cena, a different era. Um, he's a special one as well, man. You might like, he's, he's close up there with Austin and rock. I think of people who yeah. are just on the street, like know who he is now. So, um, yeah, that's uh, it's definitely something to think about. I'll just say, yeah, I don't think Hulk Hogan was insecure a day in his life, which is part of the reason <laughs> he was so successful. But it's weird. There's a lot, like, about him. Because, yeah, like, there was a point that I would also say, yeah, oh, Austin, you know, he's more popular than Hogan. Eh, I don't know. There's definitely a point where I said, oh, Savage, yeah, he was just as popular as Hogan. He could have replaced him. Mm-mm, not true. It's not false. True. We know it's false now. We've seen it, so... I don't know. There's a lot of attempts to kind of like de-emphasize Hulk Hogan, and there's a lot of reasons to do that, and some are better than others. But you know, when you really look at it, I don't think you can really support any of that. Yeah, we're just talking about the reality of what happened when and while while it happened, and it's two things too. Because like the thing I always praise Bret Hart for is he got wrestling. It was more important to him than almost anything. So like, it's a guy security wise to put the belt on. So that's the, also the other thing is. Hulk Hogan created this monster empire and image, but he was also a damn dependable, like, world champion for many, many, many years. Oh, yeah. And that's hard. It's hard to find both, you know? It is, yeah. Like, the schedule he worked is insane. We talked before about it, and now it's like the war is over at this point, basically. Like, the territories are done. Um, But uh, the way 
WWF would run in these territories, they would run their regular show, and, you know, sometimes they'd do well, sometimes not, and if not, they would just send Hulk Hogan in next time, and he would knock that town over forever, every time. Like, there's just nobody like this guy. It's unreal. I'll tell you how serious I am about this, and this is just integrity of us trying to call what's in front of us. I am the biggest Lex Luger fan in the world, but this is the closest I've ever come to saying, like... You can just keep hiring like a million bodies, a million good-looking bodies, and you're never going to get – like a, a good-looking body is about one-twentieth of what Hulk Hogan brought to the table. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, and then with Luger and Sting and guys like that, you're trying to get two or three elements out of it. If you can get two or three elements, you know, it's, like, it's a worthwhile deal. Right. But it's just, it's just too much. It's too many things. It's vertical in how high the wave got, and it's horizontal in what he did so broadly for the sport. And I think that I think Austin's going to hit the vertical line similar to Hulk Hogan, but he's not going to hit the horizontal line like Hulk Hogan. Mm. All right. My goodness, he, he's a slime ball in half of these uh, videos, and he's got us like campaigning for him. So he, I he's know good with- it's so hard with Hulk Hogan because I don't like Hulk Hogan. I think yeah. most of his matches are not good. I think he's a gross human in many ways. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The closer you look at this stuff, the more you have to at least give a uh, recognition to yeah. kind of the heights of Hulk Hogan. So, uh, there's something undeniable about this guy, even if you strongly dislike him as I do. So, yeah. So we go to three, six, and this is the last one before Saturday night's main event. And it's Randy Savage again. Um, a lot of new accusations, a lot of spinning. Randy Savage said, Hogan made a lot of promises. He said Liz would never be in a dangerous position. Um, And he talks about when he had to make the save when she comes in the ring that time. Uh, We'll get to that because I think that's a little bit suspect in some ways. But he also says you've got to get in in your grandstanding and hot dogging, which is without a doubt true. Uh, he, He says that he was styling his champion. But guess who shows up against a conquistador? That's another legacy. The conquistadors have a quite the legacy in the 80s. Right. And they are all over the place. They they had some uh, more significant moments than you would think from some guys who had like a gold dust bodysuit and no character, no name. So. Oh. He calls Hogan a liar straight up, so that's also something. He does, yeah. He shows one last clip of Hogan saying he loves Elizabeth. I'm sure he meant it like a sister because he loved to tack that on. But, man, like at some point it's like, Hogan, God, read the room, you know. Yes. Go up to your insecure friend and be like, ah, your wife, I'm in love with her. <laughs> like a sister, you know, it doesn't help that you tack that on. You know, you already kind of said something you shouldn't have said. So Trust me, Ms. Van, he was reading the room. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, yeah. that's We haven't even mentioned, like. How much is Hulk Hogan just trying to provoke Randy Savage? He, you know, he praised him for waiting till WrestleMania. There's no way Hulk Hogan wasn't slow cooking this so he could have his yes. big match. So yeah. yeah, that is it is the it's the crock pot of feuds where Hulk Hogan just puts Randy Savage in the crock pot and is like, sorry brother, I'm putting it on low and I got you for 12 hours. Uh, it's, it's gonna suck at times, buddy, but we got somewhere to go. Uh, he really calls the shots too, because he's still feuding with Big Boss Man, but he's just like, "Sorry, Boss Man, you gotta wait. I gotta do this other thing, you know." And um, and here we are. Oh. So a couple of things I will just say is, if Hulk Hogan put Liz in danger when she came in the ring, uh, number one, Savage wouldn't come down there, and number two, Liz came in the ring uh, with Randy Savage. So the Savage put her in danger when the Honky Tonk Man and Hogan saved her from that. So that one to me has got a little bit of suspect on it. Um, 
And the other one, the grandstanding and hot dogging, I agree, and I'm glad he said it. But did you not see him as a grandstander and hot dogger like the whole time that you knew him? So uh, this is why Liz needs to run for both of them because Savage. I mean, beyond even what you said, uh, how many years ago? One year, two years? Savage yeah. was using her as a human shield. So yeah. let's not pretend that there's a moral high ground in that relationship. And then Hulk Hogan, yeah, like his only game was to blow up this relationship anyway. So she should run the hell away from both these guys. Absolutely. It is, and it's almost. <sighs> Randy Savage and Elizabeth reminds me of that kind of first love teenage relationship, you know, yeah. where the feel is so high that you don't realize that the very feeling and the very way you prize it is the evidence that it's never going to work. Oh, you man. know. That rings very true for me. <laughs> yeah, because it just can't. Like, nothing can yeah. sustain what you feel. Like, it cannot be sustained. And that is sad because Hulk Hogan's doing it on purpose, and that's not, inexcusable. that's not excusable. But the bottom line is this was a relationship that, as it was, would never be able to sustain. You can't be iconic figures larger than life to the point that you don't have humanity and your feet are not on the ground. Yeah, and um, and you're in that relationship. You're gonna make a billion mistakes, and you won't even know till yeah. much later that you made all those. So I can't even imagine the headspace of Randy Savage and all this. It's so. Uh, I don't know how to. When Liz runs out of the crowd, and we'll get to this in a couple of years, like the emotion of the fans, the emotion of the image, like. It, it's the power, like, it, that is something on the level of Hulk Hogan in that he talks about, like, I'm, the fans are going to die and I'm going to bring them back to life. Elizabeth, in a way, will redeem Macho Man from literally the gutter and the floor and the canvas mm. and the run that he had. But the sad thing is, anything that has that kind of power in a moment just cannot be stretched out for a lifetime. Mm. Yeah, it definitely can't, and, uh, well, that's all I want to say about that. We got to get into Saturday Night's main event. Um, so, uh, yes, the big thread of this episode is that Liz must choose between Hogan and Savage, we are told, and that will be proved false very soon, but uh, we are told that is what must happen. Um, we also see some... Nicely edited footage, uh, courtesy not of one guy or the other, but of the WWF itself, <laughs> where we are shown the unprovoked betrayal of Hulk Hogan um, and some nice uh, cherry-picked moments of Savage misbehaving and Hogan being an innocent white dove. So uh, we know which side the propaganda machine is really on. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. We also lose the rapid-fire promos at the beginning of Saturday Night's main event. We do. I don't know if they'll come back. I hope they do, because I've always liked them. So I also noticed this while we were going through the promos. The Million Dollar Man has been in the process of uh, constructing his million-dollar title, and we will see it for the first time uh, here on Saturday Night's main event as he takes on the Blue Blazer. (laughs) I very much enjoy those vignettes. Uh, Ted DiBiase the master of having lots of great vignettes and if we had a little more time i would have gone through those but uh, they are fun if you have extra time check them out they're on these primetime episodes we've been talking about another fun moment is jesse and Chira tells us everything on the show and every time vince mcmahon tries to speak he interrupts him and just look at the face <laughs> of vince mcmahon while jesse and Chira is doing that oh man 
Ah, what their relationship must have been like, I can't imagine. <laughs> oh, man. So we go straight into the business of things. Gene Oakland in the back with Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude as Rick Rude gets ready to face Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Yep, Heenan uh, says that he's asked about his plans. The long-term plan is his own business. The short-term plan is to get rid of Brutus Beefcake, and if only he had been successful. Um he says, Rude doesn't want to be in the ring with someone with a poor appearance, which I think is a very, very uh, good critique. I say, you want to talk about people sitting at home thinking about how they don't have a good appearance? That should have been Beefcake, and he really should have stayed home. So, <laughs> he always looks dumb to me. So, he has not won you over still, huh? <laughs> I'll never be over. Um, <laughs> beefcake. It's impossible. So. Gene Oakland is with Beefcake after this, and it's a lot more puns. Beefcake also says that uh, Bobby Heenan is like a hair dryer. Turn him on, and it's all hot air. That is, that's Bruce Beefcake's line for for, for primetime TV. <laughs> uh, so, yes, he's going to turn Heenan on. He's making, oh, it's just dumb puns, and then he walks up like a perv, like he always does. So, good God. He's going to come out to the ring, and he's going to threaten to cut Earl Hebner's fingers off with his stupid yeah. knives. They're knives. They're not even scissors. Yeah. So, get, man, ban this guy off the show. For God, if he was a heel, man, the commentators would just be, like, losing their minds. He's carrying these knives around. But, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm done with beefcake. Even that, though, would be real heat, because if he was a heel behaving like this, you would feel the tension from the baby faces of what a threat he is to the business. <laughs> um, I think he'd be more like a Bastion Booger type, where I'm just disgusted to see him, um, but I am anyway, so, you know, it is what it is. Whereas now it's like, you know, it's like a, a parade, and he's handing out candy, and like, oh, it's Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Like, Jesus, hold your children do not up, take please. candy from Brutus Beefcake. <laughs> It will knock you out, and he will give you a haircut while you're asleep. So, all right. It is masterful, whoever came up with it. It's, it's disgusting, but, you know, a guy that comes out and cuts your hair but also does a sleeper so that he puts you out, you know, and then you wake up to it. So whatever came up with that idea, as horrible as it is in behavior, like, if I was facing a guy that could knock me out and then cut my hair, and then I wake up to find myself altered by Brutus Beefcake, you know, that's, that's some scary, that's some scary, uh, lines there so yeah that's a violation i'll never i've it said is. it before he does this to jobbers who never did anything in their life so like this is a, uh he's a disgusting person i don't like him uh neither does rick rude as bruce Buchek's in here and he's like shaking his booty around like he's gonna be the booty man already and he is because he's always booty uh in his whole life but uh rick rude just gives him this like confused disgusted look, which perfectly captured how I felt about the moment, so I'll credit Rick Rude for that. It's funny you say that, because he's also done a kind of yes-no thing that's very Zodiac at one point. So all his <laughs> all gimmicks are already gimmicks. Yeah, all the terrible gimmicks are already inside this man. No kidding. So this is when they go at it. This becomes more of a storyline character matchup as uh, we need to get some stories across it. Is whether you know it or not, we're right at WrestleMania five, and there are other things than Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan. So mm -hmm. uh, we need to mix yeah. it up. Andre the Giant, uh, in shades of old uh, Saturday Night's main event, just makes his appearance and comes down to ringside. Absolutely. So we get Andre, which is always exciting. Um, I'll, I'll I'll mention this also quickly. Uh, this match, while it's, while it's a match, is very bad, obviously. Look at who's involved. Um, 
Rick Rude has the Ultimate Warrior on his tights, and they are the ugliest fucking tights oh. that I think I ever saw. I was disturbed by these tights because Warrior's face looks horrible, and then like his shoulders go down onto the legs, so he looks like he's just a head with like these fleshy like yeah. shoulder legs. It it looks horrible. I was horrified by these tights of Rick Rude. So. I'm glad you said that. I kind of looked and looked away and dismissed ever seeing it, but that, the moment you said that, it brought it right back to me. Uh, so, yes, we quickly, fortunately, dispense of this bad match because Andre does appear. Um, Beefcake gets thrown out to the floor, and Andre sits on him and chokes him, which <laughs> is always good because bad things should happen to Brutus Beefcake. Uh, things go crazy. Jake comes down with the snake in the bag. Andre starts running away before even anything even happens which you got to love. Rick Root attacks Jake Roberts, and then when the bag is safely away, Andre comes in. He also beats up Jake. He's choking Jake. Ventura makes a great point that Heenan probably planned this exact scenario out. Uh, you get Heenan. He's yelling, don't let him up. He's directing traffic, doing a great job, as always. Uh, Beefcake tries to come to the rescue. We get a great moment where he's trying to, like, punch Andre, and Andre, like, doesn't even notice. He just keeps choking Jake. And that's Andre for you. And then uh, the the kind of lame climax of this is Big John Stud appears. And Vince McMahon, that freaking hypocrite, is like, oh, well, here's a real giant. And I'm like, no, shut the fuck up, Vince. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hit that quote down. That's a whole Hogan quote right there. You know, oh, my God. Yeah, they're standing beside each other. One is bigger and taller, and then but one is real. And, and I guess Andre is what? And it's the, the whole, like, they fought a lot in, like, 84, 85, that whole period. And it was always like, oh, Big John says a fake giant. He's not real like Andre. And now, of course, it's just the other way just because, um, ah, yep, it's the narratives again. So then we'll see Jake will throw the snake uh, into the ring. And Andre the Giant throws himself over the top rope, puts on that scared face again, which is priceless, yep. and runs away from ringside. Yep. Big credit again to Andre, who's a guy who never had to show fear. Um, you know, definitely uh, could have refused this whole storyline, and yet is uh, not at all afraid to be cowardly, to show ass, as they say, and uh, I, that's a huge credit to him. Yeah, as another, he is cooking anywhere you put him on the card continually. Ah, indeed. So, uh, so yeah, this was a much better post-match than it was a match, uh, obviously. I got real vibes of, uh, of 1987, I think. Was that when Andre was just choking Hogan and, like, nobody could pull him off? Might yeah. have been 88, but yeah, you know the segment I mean. So, great vibe of that. Uh, always love Andre. Absolutely. And we got Andre and Jake at WrestleMania 5, or no? We do, yeah. Finally, they're going to have their, uh, little climax here. That feels like a culmination, you know? It does, yeah. It's been going on for a long time. This is like like post-SummerSlam. I think they got into this, and now now we're finally getting the payoff. Absolutely. Uh, Jesse Ventura is with Bad News Brown, who again brings up, he is the one who uncovered the favors of Elizabeth and Jack Tunney's administration and all of this. So shout out to Miz Fan again, though, for giving us that stuff, because otherwise I'm wondering what in the hell are we talking about? <laughs> Yep, an underrated uh, little piece of story. Um, yeah, Hulk Hogan at some point here says that he's going to take on Bad News Brown on behalf of Liz, so he really can't mm. mind his own business at all. He's got to be in everybody's face. Um, but yes, Ventura does talk to Brown about those accusations. Um, 
they say that uh, Savage never came out to defend her honor, which isn't true. We know that's not true because we saw him uh, attack Brown with our own eyes. He can't tell us that reality is not reality, WWF. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Brown says the woman causes all the problems. He blames her for splitting up the mega powers, which I thought was funny. Brown calls Hogan a big dummy and tells him to wise up. So some more truth from Bad News Brown. If you want to know how inauthentic Hulk Hogan is, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do, um, here is evidence. This is not two people playing videotape. This is one single man somehow in the same promo. So Gene Arkland <laughs> is trying to explain what is going on and what has been said about Elizabeth and what is happening with Savage. Hulk Hogan says, shut up, mean Gene. Don't repeat these filthy lies. Can't you see she's hurt enough? So that's what Hulk Hogan says. She is hurt enough. Don't even say these kind of things in front of her. And Hulk Hogan ends the promo by saying of Randy Savage, you're hanging on to the last thing keeping you alive as we look at Liz's face as he says that. <laughs> oh, Hogan with murderous intent, as always. Um <laughs> Yeah, very cruel to Gene Okerlund here. Like, yeah. he's not kind at all. Gene Okerlund should have taken a clue at some point, but uh, of course he will not until he can't deny it anymore. So, uh, And I am with uh, Jesse because Liz has a horrified look on her face during that because I just read you the words. But when Hogan and Liz come around the ringside, she is smiling, she is happy, and Jesse Ventura says, it looks like Liz has already made her decision. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Vince McMahon also says here, it's ridiculous to say that Hogan has lust for Elizabeth, and this is the same guy who said the Mega Powers were totally fine, you know, he swore on his mother's grave practically that the Mega Powers were as happy together as they ever were, so, you know, credibility is a thing that exists. Absolutely, and, and Jesse will take it a step further later on saying that both Hogan and Liz have lust in their eyes for one another. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was right about the mega powers blowing up. So again, credibility, yeah. you know, you either have it or you don't. I don't know. Could be true. I must say something. This is a really good matchup. This, yeah, it's a, a pretty okay match. You know, it could have been, um, it could have been a dud, but uh, it was not. There's, there's some good stuff in here. I agree. You cannot say Hogan doesn't put people over during this era. Like that is again. The difference is in, when Hulk Hogan is more popular, uh, his, his credibility is attacked more, and he gets beat up a whole lot more. <laughs> it's true. You know, we've said many times that the vulnerable Hulk Hogan is the much better Hulk Hogan. Um, it's only when he uh, cannot be impacted by anything around him that he's uh, really intolerable. So, yeah, no, Brown gets a lot of shots in here. Um, you know, I, I have a note that, uh, we'll get beyond this eventually, but, uh, even when he's in the ring, like the hulking up, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, there's a difference between Hulk Hogan who hulks up like he was in a lot of pain and he's overcoming it. And then there'll be the Hulk Hogan who just gets up like he was never hurt at all. Yeah. And the difference between that is very big to me. It is. I just noted this is offense versus offense. And then Jesse Ventura says, uh, uh, he doesn't know who the street fighter is because they're just going at each other. But this is a matchup. That not only is high intensity, but you can easily argue that Bad News Brown had Hulk Hogan beat because mm. Bad News Brown is going to do everything but his finisher and then grab a microphone and announce to the crowd the Ghetto Blaster, uh, our Ghetto Blaster time pool. And then Hulk Hogan obviously is going to duck the Ghetto Blaster. But other than that, 
Like, there's no indication that Hulk Hogan would have beat this man. So, it's yeah, just no, a different time than what we're going to get. For sure, yeah. I, just, I, I really enjoy people, uh, heels, who are so confident that they got to get a mic and, like, rub it in the guy's face. And that was great because, yeah, like, Brown really looked very strong in this match. You can't say they never gave him any kind of push at all. Arguably should have given him more even, but uh, he gets to do some cool stuff. Uh, he brings out at one point, this was crazy to me, like I didn't know what to think of this. He goes to the back and he brings out, like, I don't know what it is. Like it's a big, huge, like metal shovel maybe or something, or maybe some kind of like stand for something to be set up on. And man, like... Like, he's going to come down, and I think he's just going to murder Hulk Hogan with it, because, like, this is a lethal weapon, absolutely, and uh, even though it's no scarier than Beefcake Scissors, still, like, man, he could have really caved in Hulk Hogan's head here. Yeah, and Jesse Ventura does say, oh, yeah, it was okay when Bruce Beefcake brought scissors down. (laughs) Man, those things are knives, like, you could kill a man so easily with those scissors, but with this thing, too, like, it was nuts, so, yeah, this is is a pretty okay match, definitely, Uh, I, I was into this. Um, I he also, just, he yeah, puts the leg drop on Hulk Hogan as well. He does. He does the leg drop. He gets a, a visual three, and Hogan is only saved because his foot is under the rope. And, yeah, no, Brown, yeah. Brown gets a lot here, and that's good. He, he should get a lot because he's great. So Yeah, he does a left arm run through clothesline, which is usually the, the sign of the baby face when you're, like, almost turning people inside out with a clothesline. Yeah, sure. No, he gets a lot. Uh, obviously Brown loses this match, but I'll just I'll just leave with this thought. Um, I'm imagining Bad News Brown versus Vader, and man, I'm salivating oh, at that. Man. So holy crap! <laughs> Woo! Yeah, that's a matchup, and that's it's not just a matchup. That I think because we've made the Austin comparison for gimmick and like what he stands in, but like the way he puts himself forward and his attitude towards wrestling and kind of that thing, that's more Vader than anybody else. Like Vader and Bad News Brown. Mm. I think have the same approach to kind of what a wrestling match is going to be. I feel like Austin and Vader have some similarities um, also when you think about it. And now, man, they overlap decently, but I don't know if they ever had a big singles match, so maybe i got to look into that. They were on their way um, in the 93 with the Vader Sid before Sid did what he did, and Austin, like pre-Hulk Hogan, uh, if they weren't always lying to Austin, which who knows if they were or weren't, we were going to get an Austin world title, um, I think, run that probably would have had to include uh, Vader and maybe one or two others because of what the title, what the world was like in WCW at that time. Sure, yeah. I mean, there and also, like, 97, like, you, you yeah. think somewhere in there that could have happened easily. I know that they're that fatal four-way in 97 that has Austin and Vader, yes. and uh, I've seen that, and that's a wonderful match, so i got to watch that again and see how much those two interact because I want to see more of that. Yeah, we did that on the Vader tribute. Oh, we did, yeah. Oh, that match is so good. I love that match. That's, that's probably low-key one of my favorite matches just because it's so good. you got Vader bleeding, like, all his blood out, and everybody's just, like, beating the crap out of each other. I'm excited. I'm excited for the future of this series. Yeah, that whole 97-ish era yeah. is so out of control in a good way that you get stuff like that four-way. You get the stampede matchup. With, you know, you, you got to have 12 guys in it because that many people are mad at each other on a night-to-night basis. So good, so good. All right. It, this one, Hogan gets the win, and to me, Ho, for both Hogan and Liz, it's just a bad look right now to be celebrating and doing the double hand thing and the picking her up. And that's I don't I don't know how you justify any of that. Like it's just not the right time for that. 
Yeah, I mean, best case scenario, you're rubbing it in on a guy who used to be your friend. So, uh, but Hogan, he's just doing what comes natural, of course. So, uh, uh, it's Hogan is so calculated, and yet he's trying to claim like a Randy Savage like quality right now. Mm. And that Randy Savage, I think, does just do whatever seems right in the moment. And Hogan, on the other hand, you know, everything he does is very uh, planned out, I think. So yeah. here we are. Uh, Savage is backstage. He is fretting in front of Miss Elizabeth's door. So we see he still has a deep emotional investment in what's going to happen here. And as always with Savage and Liz, it's uh, trotting the line between, um, you know, a, a real relationship and a very possessive, unhealthy relationship. Yeah. So, so we'll see where it lands. And also, we missed this, I think, in all those promos, but there's some foreshadowing. Savage says about 72 times during those promos that Liz will be in his corner. Uh, and there's yeah. no. Yeah. No, he's very uh, clear about his uh, desire for that. And uh, I would say confident, but I don't think he's really confident. I think he just wants to make it true by saying it. So I think I think also he may know that she's not going to be. I think that's the this is the last gasp of because um, even when he finally gets it, and we'll get to that. Like You would think he would explode more. But I wonder if partly he is put out of his misery a little bit. <laughs> And finally getting, you know, it finally going down like it does. Yeah, there may be some element to that. So uh, we'll we'll see it as we go along here. Gene Okerlund is with Ted DiBiase and Virgil. Uh, the unveiling of the million dollar championship. Um, Ted says what is important is money, not Tony, as the belt is not sanctioned. And he says Virgil shine that spot on my belt. <laughs> so. uh, I love the million dollar belt. I think there was a plan, possibly at one point, for DiBiase to be champion. Uh, it never came to fruition. So instead, he gets this title. And you know what? I, I don't know. I feel like the narrative of this title is not very good or not very prominent or something. But, man, this is a super useful little device they have that really adds a lot, I think, to DiBiase's uh, feuds around this time and to his character. And eventually it's going to be... This beautiful thing with Virgil, which is one of my favorite things uh, from this era. So uh, I really like the million dollar belt. I, I like the look of it and um, how it's like over the top and it fits DiBiase very well. I'm, I'm just a fan of the whole thing. I agree. I also think if the IC belt is kind of the U.S. title equivalent, this really could have been the workers belt and the TV title equivalent for WWF. <laughs> I mean, it's mostly going to be on DiBiase, and we know that he's very good, so uh, we're definitely going to get some good stuff out of it. Because, man, I, we go to Blue Blazer, and I want to just, I'm going to say this again. I've already said it more than once. Name every world champion, you know, that's coming up in the 90s, and Blue Blazer's outpacing them right now. Sure, yeah, no, he's a perfectly uh, good promo, even includes some puns about high-flying. He's got the puns. He's got a, a name that doesn't exist. You know, he's got a, he's the something. So why not give more to uh, to Owen to the Blue Blazer? But oh well. He's quick to it. Like Michaels is too, but he's in the rocker, so I think that waters it down. But you know, some of these guys, you at least can see some like they're not they're not slow growing into what they're capable of doing in the ring. Yeah, I mean, Owen certainly isn't, because, yeah, no, he's great already. You know, he's been great already for a while. Like, if you watch his stuff in other places, Owen is just incredibly natural. I think we, we talked about that before as well. A much more natural wrestler than Bret Hart turned out to be, and you can say if Bret surpassed him eventually or not. You know, that's up to you. But, man, Owen, 
in 89, Owen is better than Brett, and I don't think there's any question in my mind about that. I agree, and then imagine putting him with Ted DiBiase. Mm, yeah, yeah, this is a, a short match, as I expected, but it's a really good short match, so uh, if you're not um, offended by a short match time, this is definitely one to check out, because there's a lot of fun, quick stuff in here. It's the, nat- it's the natural stuff, too, because, like, uh, there's a Blue Blazer going off the ropes, Teddy Biasi ducks, and, and he's going to hit him with a inside cradle. But when you're the one coming off running, you've got to kind of run, stop, hook, inside cradle. And that's more complicated than what it sounds. And it's, it's that kind of stuff that Owen Hart is just natural in the stop, the start, the up, and the down. And, you know, you can't teach that. Right, right. No, super good. Um. Owen, oh, uh, he gets beaten up a lot in this match, and of course he's very good with the bumping and the selling, but man, he gets a really nice comeback. He's diving out of the ring, um, yeah. he's, he's getting a really great near fall off a flying crossbody, all this stuff, and I'm just, I never thought about this before, but man, Owen Hart versus Ricky Steamboat, that's another mm-hmm. match that I don't think we ever even had a chance to get, but holy crap, like, <laughs> in 94 or something, are you kidding me? Wow, oh, yeah. that would have been something. Steamboat was in WCW making about 10 other talents, but you put him in WWF, and that thing would have been off the charts. Oh, so good. So good. I will also say that suicide dive, he does a sideways suicide dive through the ropes with the energy of jumping over the top rope. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's um, ahead of its time, to say the least. You know, we'll see a lot of guys adopting a style like that eventually, but Owen is doing it in the 80s, and he's doing it wonderfully. So big credit to this guy. Also, that big slam that ends the match. So, DiBiase catches him, like the turn slam, and then just kind of hooks him up and gets a quick victory to barely escape the Blue Blazer. Absolutely so. Very good short match. Definitely recommend checking it out. Quick thought that I wrote about to DiBiase, I want to see what your opinion is. A lot of the guys at WWF at this time, either the company just took what they already were and just used it and kind of profited off it, um, or they gave him something new and made them worse. I'm thinking, you know, Rick Martel becomes the model, you know, something like that. Ted DiBiase is in kind of that rare category where he came in, WWF made him into something new, and actually it was a huge success. And I'm wondering, is Ted DiBiase the biggest, like, successful WWF transformation of this era? I don't know who, like, maybe going from Dingo Warrior to Ultimate Warrior, I mean, that has to do you some benefit. I'm sure there's a few others, but still, I think Ted DiBiase, from a character point of view, might have been the biggest success that WWF kind of grew from home in this period. It has to be up there. because, yeah. And part of it, again, knowing now that what we do from Bruce Pritchard, that this is who this is the gimmick that Vince McMahon would have if he had a gimmick. Right. You know, I think that ensures partly that you get treated a certain type of way, and even Jesse Ventura says to Vince McMahon, now don't be jealous because you don't have a million-dollar belt. So <laughs> I think there was something personal to Vince McMahon that, you know, he wanted this to be a great thing. And Teddy Biasi is just an amazing talent. Yeah. So are you speaking strictly on they were already somebody before WWF and then they became something? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of, at least, you know. Okay. So. so, yeah, you, I have to think about it. But, yeah, all you, DiBiase or Warrior would have to be – then there are just like later conversations is just like who is a talent in WWF and not a talent somewhere else, you know? Right, of course, because like you look at the other biggest names in this era, Hogan, Andre, Piper, Savage, 
these guys, they came in fully formed. You know, yes. WWF did nothing to really improve them. They just let them go out and be who they were. So I, I don't think, yeah, in this period, anybody can really uh, come close to Ted because Warrior, I don't really know much about Dingo Warrior. I can't imagine it was that different, <laughs> right? Because Warrior can yeah. only do one thing. Uh, so I, I think it's got to be Ted, you know. So I'll, I'll give credit where it's due. A lot of these gimmicks were like Harley Race didn't really need to be the king. Like he did well, that's fine. But uh, stuff like that, the model, like I said. But Million Dollar Man, I mean, it's a wonderful gimmick, and uh, Ted's a great fit for it. So I'll give huge credit there. Um, that that was something that actually worked really, really well. It is, and that's fair, and I agree. It's just weird that the narrative often seems like that every single story is a Ted DiBiase story, and yet we're barely can find one that's not, you know, one to put with it, so. Right, yep, absolutely. Yeah. It's two different things, too. Like, it's a gimmick. Like, it's almost sometimes he's in the Million Dollar Man gimmick, and it helps him, and it's amazing. And sometimes when he's in the ring, he's just Ted DiBiase, and right. gimmick aside, and he's just phenomenal, too, so. Yeah, a lot of people say, and I haven't watched enough to say if it's true, but a lot of people say he was even better in the ring before this era. Like, his in-ring prime is even earlier, uh, and I don't doubt it, you know, for sure. So uh, definitely a really great, great performer is Ted DiBiase. Yeah, every sign pointed to he was on his way to the top of the NWA. So sure, you know, sure. either way this was going to happen, the only difference is he got like a robust gimmick to go along with it. And it's one that has worked well and been iconic in wrestling history. Sure, yeah. And I mean, to me, he definitely is like... Top six of this era is like Hogan Savage, Andre Piper, DiBiase Warrior, I think, and everyone else is like on a tier lower, I think. So he he's he's way up there. You can't say he didn't have huge success. That's fair. I think uh, some people get angry that he didn't do more, but like you know, it's it's the era that it is. And right, yeah. It's I think it's where the we The standard agree. for a world champion has been changed so much now. Like anybody who has like a shred of talent should be world champion just because of the way it was presented. So, yeah, some people want Ted to be world champion. Fair enough. Definitely could have been. Could have been him in 88, but it uh, didn't happen, so it is what it is. That's where these false narratives hurt, though, because then if you get super pissy that he was never world champion, then I think you automatically have to then devalue the million-dollar championship because it needs, it needs to go along the narrative of he should have been world champion and then this and then this. But yet, a lot of guys, you know... I think that if you were not Hulk Hogan in this era, a sign of how great you were is that you created something unique that was unlike any other time and era. Yeah. And so, you know, you got DiBiase with the million dollar title. You got Macho Man uh, with Liz. You got Macho Man as Macho King. Uh, even guys like Honky Tonk Man, you got all that one title reign that at that time was considered by many to be a great, like, long lasting title reign. Like, Jake the Snake and his psychology and the snake, Andre the Giant and being the eighth wonder of the world. Like people were out there doing things that will last forever and they were not world and they were not the world champion. Right, yeah, absolutely. It's just uh it's almost like speaking kind of a different language, you know, or like old English instead of modern English yeah. to like talk about it. But yeah, I mean, these guys were bigger stars than a lot of world champions from the two thousands and from this decade, you know, so yeah. it's just a different conversation. And I don't think people do value things like the Million Dollar Championship enough. Like I said, I don't think there's much respect for that title now, and I think there should be because uh, it's a great tool for these feuds that they're going to have. As a creative person, 
I would love to be put in a situation where it's like this is a belt that's undefined and it goes with your gimmick. What can you do with it? Right, right. Yeah. Or even like Arn Anderson, like who never really wanted to be a world champion, but then was called maybe one of the greatest, not just one of the greatest tag team wrestlers, but one of the greatest TV champions of all time. So like to be someone like who doesn't want to be a world champion, who doesn't want to make money? Okay, we get that. But to be someone who carves out a lane, not only one, whether it's the million dollar title where one didn't exist or through a TV title or through a belt where you carve out a lane where everybody else was champion, but they didn't carve out any lane like you created a space there. Like to me, there's something rewarding about that that has its own kind of legacy to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I and I think that will be borne out as we watch along here. Like we're not the biggest honky tonk man fans, but take that take that title reign from him, and and you would never even hear his name mentioned. <laughs> well, there's a very good reason for that, but uh, yeah, no, here we are. So you know, but that's what one why like one kind of defining element can do for you. Yeah. So. Absolutely, yeah, and it's what we talked about before, you know, it's the drill down, you know, you have one thing, and you can yes. just drill on that forever in this era, and you do it so well that, yeah, it becomes like an iconic thing to you, so it works, you know? Imagine yeah. if Bobby Heenan was one to sit and cry or walk out because, like, oh, God, you had me managing this many years, and I don't have any champions, you're making me look dumb, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, he could have done that if he wanted to. Sure, yeah. And, you know, what does that get you? But instead, like, well-received by many as the greatest manager of all time. Mm. And and yet, my God, Jimmy Hart was outpacing him. Like, how many people are running laps on him as far as just, like, winning championships or getting these things that have so much value, yet half the time we forget some of the people that even held the championships? Right, yeah. I mean, friggin' Johnny V had tag team champions, and who the hell knows about Johnny V, you know? <laughs> so Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, 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 I think it's a great, great point. And, you know, Teddy Biasi is going to have one of the most unique runs, you know, until we're, until he's managing uh, challengers against diesel. And then we got to figure out what his legacy is, but you know, we're not there right now. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So Liz, Liz has a decision to make. No, she doesn't. So (laughs) down to Randy Savage's music, which is also interesting, but you know, well, Liz never really existed as her own person ever. So it makes sense. You know, Yeah, she was just, She's also just out there with Hulk Hogan doing uh, ear cusping uh, Hulk, Hulk Hogan song stuff. So, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. You said at one point uh, Liz has agency. And while technically that's true, I don't know if there's ever been a wrestling character with less agency. Um, and yet, like, she's getting one of the biggest pops on this whole show easily. So, you know, I don't know. Something there worked. <laughs> Yeah, and there is something, because like, she starts off with, I care for both men. There's there's this unspoken thing, and I don't know if, like what they want us to assume about Liz and Hulk Hogan, but there is an element of this, I think, that doesn't go on for a year and ends up like this if Liz is not in it. Like, let's say Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage were just the mega powers, you know. Right. You know, Liz is the one who went down and found Hulk Hogan. Liz, at least according to Savage, is the one that wanted the mega powers to stay together after he... So both Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan at least claim that somewhere in the midst of the year, they both realized the other one was kind of not what they ought to be. <laughs> you know, and Liz doesn't address it, but I, I have to, in, like, infer that she really wanted, like, to stay with Hulk Hogan and the two to stay together because why else would she still be managing Hulk Hogan to that day yeah. that she had to make this decision? I'm, I'm going to flip it the other way. You asked what, okay. what does it look like if Liz wasn't there. I'm going to ask what is it like if Liz is a person – 
with any depth to them, like with any, um, you know, uh, agency of her own character and personality, because we've talked that Liz is passive and like, any, we're understating it. If anything, um, Liz is the most passive character that you could possibly imagine. You know, she, she's a, she's a prop most of the time, let's be honest. And, uh, Man, I don't know. I'm just thinking of some of the strong female characters we will see in wrestling at times, and uh, of course in other media and in other places and in life. If we had someone even remotely like that, they would have put a stop to a lot of this baloney a long time ago. So, what do you imagine would have happened? Uh, I think that I <laughs> she goes to these people, man. You need to start behaving. You know, you need to to start acting right to each other and acting right to me, and uh, make some demands on this team to uh, not get into these situations that uh, cause all these problems. so Or even to just like, this isn't working. You guys need to go away from each other before you murder each other, you know. We can all see it coming. So instead, she just kind of stands there, and she uh, looks indecisive, and she goes along with whoever she's nearby. Even when they ask her here, like, you should choose someone. Well, no, I can't. I still can't choose anyone. You know, I can't make any kind of real decision for myself. So, I don't know. I'm just imagining what that looks like. That's fair. That's fair. I do wonder, though, the thing that doesn't make sense to me is you're managing the heavyweight champion and maybe your romantic partner. Mm-hmm. Like, What is the reason to want the Mega Powers together and to want Hulk Hogan to, to, to still be a part of this? Does Miss Elizabeth want anything? What does she want? But we have to go by her actions if we can't go by her words. And her actions would say that she wants... Like, where where would she not where would it indicate that she doesn't want Hulk Hogan to be involved with this whole whatever this is? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to indicate it, but uh, where is it to indicate she doesn't want Savage involved? You know, she never indicates anything that she wants. She's standing next to Hulk Hogan, she'll do the ear thing. If she's standing next to Savage, she'll get up on his shoulder. You know, she just like whoever she's there with, she'll just sort of like meekly follow along with, and that's sort of Liz's whole thing. But she wanted, all right, so the best we could say is that she wanted to manage both men and she wanted them to stay together. I think, least, I don't know. I think whoever she's in the room with, she would have managed. Okay. She's lucky somebody else didn't just walk by. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just want to be hard. I, I just want to be hard on Liz here for a second because her character frustrates me a little at this point. Um, you know, an ounce of decisiveness, an ounce of like, speak up and say something that you want. You, 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 she doesn't want anything, you know? Right. So, I don't know. Do you think there's any any credibility to the fact that maybe she she loves Randy Savage, but he is possessive and maybe abusive, and she's having this, like, thing with Hulk Hogan that is or is not defined, where she maybe feels differently, she's treated differently, but to make a decision, at least at this point, like that's not. It's also not act like that's not a very costly decision because you're either like forever ending a relationship with not only someone that you maybe love but someone who might be possessive and abusive and stalkerish because he's also outside her locker room. Mm. And while you're enjoying Hulk Hogan, if you were to choose Hulk Hogan over Randy Savage, I think she has to have enough sense to know that Hulk Hogan will be done with her like in a week. <laughs> Absolutely. Um... I, I won't say that it's not a costly decision. I will actually say, I've been telling her this whole time, she should just run away from both these guys. Yeah. So I suppose her decision to not manage either one specifically is actually the right one and probably the best one she could have made. I just wish I felt like she was making it for the right, right reasons instead of just like she's in the room with two people who want different things and like she just doesn't want to 
offend anybody. You know, she, she can't decide when she has two people with opposing opinions. So she just chooses not to decide. I don't know. I just wish I had a better feeling about the decision she made. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that's, that's absolutely fair. So I want to, I want to try to be inclusive of two ideas simply because I think they both matter. So I think number one, a strong opinion, like you said, would have gone a long way. But also, this just popped in my head. The fact that she chooses not to manage either of them after we watch all of those accusations back and forth, like it really just kind of puts both of them in the light that they deserve to be in. Yeah. And it's a weird thing. I don't think we have a baby face. I never would have thought this going. I don't think WrestleMania Five has no baby face in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think she actually did make the right decision. After watching those promos, I wouldn't want to manage either one. And I do like they mentioned at some point that she's assigned to the match. She has to be at ringside, apparently, mm. which seems a little silly because we see managers who don't show up all the time. But uh, for whatever reason, she has to be there. So her decision is not to decide. And we will see at WrestleMania five if she uh, acts any more decisively or if she continues to be passive and indecisive. I know where my uh, likely opinion is going to be, okay. but we'll wait and see what her actions say. It's a very, uh, what a world, though, because she will, if nothing else, you can't read anything. Like, whether she's not making a decision or whether she is, she kind of makes it clear. Like, the same no that she gives Randy Savage is the same no that she gives Hulk Hogan mm -hmm. and ultimately is I'm not managing either of you. And the moment that it's over, Vincent Mann says, so she won't be in the corner of Hulk Hogan, but she definitely won't be in the corner of Randy <laughs> Savage. Oh, yeah. Well, the spin continues. I will say this. I thought it was very interesting. Liz first says she will not be in Hogan's corner. Uh, and it's funny she actually gets booed for that. That's the only time I, maybe I ever yeah. heard Liz get booed, at least in this era. Uh, but the most interesting thing is Savage just explodes out onto this platform, and they're doing it on a little platform kind of out in the crowd, and he is boiling over with joy that he thinks she's going to be with him. And I think this goes to your point that Savage maybe didn't even expect that she would actually be in his corner. Um, and I think in a, it, like, it sort of vindicates him for a moment. Like he thinks that maybe everything is going to be – good he actually is going to get everything he wants and thinks he should get out of this situation and of course that's not going to be true because Oakland has to uh, push and prod until she says no I won't be in either corner so I thought it was interesting though yeah I do think he both he was alleviated by the fact that she's not going to be in Hogan's corner but I think we quickly see with him not letting her answer that he somewhere inside of him he knows what her answer is going to be and he does grab her by the chin, which is the same move that he put on Hulk Hogan. So yeah. we're starting to see, like, we, we have condemned Hulk Hogan rightfully for, like, the kind of friend and kind of relational partner he is. But we're starting to see a little bit about what kind of partner Randy Savage is as well. <laughs> I mean, we've already seen, to some extent, what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll harp on it again. Randy Savage liked to use his girlfriend as a human shield um, yes. for many years. So, so you know, it's hard to come back from that entirely. It's just too like if I was a therapist and it's like okay, you grab you grabbed him by the chin. You must have really been frustrated, and then like you start to realize, oh, you grab everyone who you're in relationship with. Now we're having like a different conversation than we were having. As a, as a therapist like, in this situation, I'd retire. So yeah, absolutely. It. <laughs> it is for someone as explosive as Randy. And, oh God, oh shit! I hate revelations like on air revelations because okay, so. I was going to say, for someone as explosive and in motion as Randy Savage, 
he has to hold everybody by the chin, like to hold the rest of the world still. And I will, again, we've talked about empath and highly sensitive people. I have joked, I joke with my girlfriend all the time, like, oh, I'm a simple man because I am anything. I'm a complicated mystic. I'm not a simple man. But I joked around all the time just for the hell of it. And then I finally realized one day I was like, no, I need a simple world around me because I am complicated beyond belief. And, like, I want to live in a town where I can walk to work so I don't even have to drive because life is so complicated during the work time. And now I see kind of, like, if you're a highly sensitive, fire-driven Randy Savage and you can't be still, you almost have to physically reach out and hold things by the chin to make the rest of the world be still because everything within you is forever spinning. Yeah, no, that's um, that's a very good revelation. I like it a lot. Uh, certainly, Randy Savage is in so much chaos that it's almost boiling over at any moment. So any any grip for a little bit of stability, I think he's going to reach for it. If that just happens to be somebody else's chin, you know, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> he's trying to center himself for just a moment. Um, if maybe to see the situation or maybe just to make sure he directs the explosion in the right way. But one way or the other, you know, he's reaching out for that. There's something so beautiful, too, about Savage and Sherry coming together because Sherry is a strong woman and Sherry is also the kind that can be there and not have to be emotionally attached. So there's something weirdly like professional, I think, about Savage and Sherry, probably that Savage and Liz never had. <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, Sherry, Sherry would always be decisive unless she can't decide if Shawn Michaels or Rick Martell is sexier. That's the only uh. time. She would be indecisive. Otherwise, yeah, she would have been up here. She would have told you what she thought. She wouldn't have sat around. Man, did, Savage was about to get a big upgrade. I'll just say that. He's about to get Sherry, and that's amazing. That's a great thing. Sherry is somebody who's great on their own talents. Yeah. For Liz, ah, you know, I the character of Liz is interesting. You know, there's something iconic about it. But it's very frustrating also. I definitely feel that strongly. You, you will get none of that frustration with Sherry. Yeah, and there's something coming. I can't even think of like a TV show to point to with Savage. But like you have a main character who is maybe they're like the really good, really nice main character. And they drive the show in for a year. They do nothing but take it, take it, and take it. And then somewhere around the end of season one or starting season two, it never lasts forever, but they go down this dark road where they are behaving differently and the whole world around them spins differently because they are not themselves anymore. You're saying and, Randy Savage is Breaking Bad, perhaps? in this. Yeah, you know, period. but I've never seen it not be intriguing because, right. you know, you're introduced to a world that only spins a certain way because of how the people are in it. Yeah. And, you know, we'll save it because it's coming, but dear god every time i get done with one one error of randy savage i want to say that's the one that i was actually here for but now i'm actually more excited for the next one and so how is it that every single time no matter what level he reaches i'm always more excited for what is to come next yeah yeah absolutely well we know what comes next here is randy savage at wrestlemania 5 and uh, it's gonna be a big one I can't remember if I've seen that match before or not, so I'm going to really have to watch it closely to see what happens. I would have seen it as a kid because we had a, a WrestleMania VHS box set at home. Ah, so sure, okay. Um, I don't remember anything about it, and I will also look up because I know that Randy Savage, I think he, I don't know if he's hospitalized, but I know he was very sick, so I want to look up what yeah. that was. Yeah, for sure. He looks like he could get sick real soon in some of these <laughs> promos, so... You know, probably, probably the blood pressure exploding through the roof. So, 
I think you just summed up the show there. He looks like he could be sick anytime. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, what we got? Gene Arkeland and uh, all the Brooklyn Brawler and Bobby Heaton, I believe. What? No, I think oh, he jumped ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I stop using initials when he's managing two people that are BB. <laughs> Very good point. Um, yeah, no, it's Heenan and the Brain Busters, which is always great. Uh, Brain Busters declare they're exactly what Heenan wanted. They're a great team that become champions. I gotta say, man, is there a collection of three great talkers like this in one place? Heenan, Anderson, and Tony. Mm. That's amazing. That's really something. I also need to look up the NWA in the 80s because is this a WWF thing or is this an Arn and Tully thing where Arn is like, the think we got the thinking with Bobby Heenan, we got the speed with Tully, and we got the power. Like he's always considered the power, and I don't know if that's like a brainbuster thing or if that's because like he's a husky guy in WWF. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually not sure either. Um, so it's worth looking at. Because he will be the brain. When I meet him in '91, he is the brain. Like you know, he's he's an enforcer, so I guess that's some that's some brawn and all that. But like he's also a thinking guy. So I've never heard him so many times be like the power, and the announcers say that too. So. <laughs> Folks might know it if they watched the NWA in the uh, totally Arn era, or just remember, or recently. But I'd, I'd be interested to know if Arn was often considered the power, and so maybe that goes with Enforcer. So I don't know. It feels like, at least to some extent, a WWF thing because I look at Arn and Tully, and like I don't really need to separate them into like different. Like they kind of do very similar things, yeah. but from the way they talk, you'd think they did like radically different things, you know? So. I don't know. It feels like a toggy point someone handed to them. But, yeah, I don't know for sure. So could be something different. Absolutely. Uh, Shawn Michaels says it's the one the Rockers have been waiting for. National TV. Marty Jannetty says when we're good, we're good. But when we're bad, we're better. So here we go. <laughs> Too many people say that in this era. I don't know if we've heard it a lot, but I've heard it a lot on random, like, TV promos. So yeah. I don't know if that's a Vincism or what, but cool it with some of these phrases. Um, Mighty Daddy seems like someone, too, that would say something that everyone else is saying. It, <laughs> He'd also it, say some things that he never should have said, as we know absolutely. from some recent conversations. So, oh boy. I see Michaels and Sean. Uh, Michaels and Sean. That, that's, that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the Rockers. Woo! I see Michaels and Janetti before anyone knows who is who. As being so similar yeah. when you look at them, and then every single little distinction will continually take them in a different direction. Yeah, they'll definitely split up, but there's a reason, and uh, we talked about it in the, the thread as well. Heenan called these guys the Double Mint Twins for a long time, and uh, just on their face, like, yeah, they could almost be the same guy. Who is it? Uh, somebody, Alfred Hayes or someone, didn't know which one was which, and the yeah. match he called, so that's, that's where they are at right now, and they will separate in time. There's something that, like, Michaels puts his arm around Mean Gene while Marty's talking, whereas when Michaels is talking, Marty's just kind of, like, frozen. So, again, it comes down to a lot of the guys that end up making it seem like the ones that know what to do when they're not supposed to be doing anything. Right, yeah, yeah. There's some word for that, and I forget what it is, but, yeah, if you're still engaged when the spotlight is not on you, then you're always going to have a big amount of success, uh, or at least much more likely. If you find that word, do let me know, because I, I like that concept. I will. It's some acting term. Like, I'll, I'll see if I can pull it up somewhere. So That, that matters. And yeah. especially, it's the little guys, too, like Brett and Sean, that seemed like they had no chance. Like, any indication, any clue is almost off, like halfway off screen, you know? Like, <laughs> you're not supposed to be looking at them, and they're just kind of on the side, you know? Right, yeah. I think we talked about 
somebody with that, like the stuff they do on the apron matters so much. And that's true for a lot of these tag team situations. And that's hugely true of the brain busters. Like these yes. guys never stop. Like they're machines in there of just like engagement, engagement, performance, performance. Everything they do is like centered on one thing. And uh, I love them for it. They're, they're probably my favorite tag team ever. Well, are we, I think we're three years away from the, he's just a man line. When Steve <laughs> was that. Oh, I'll never forget it. Holy smokes, man. That's one of my favorite moments ever, I think. Yeah, like to me, Arn Anderson, if he had never done anything else, he should be Hall of Fame just on looking at the camera and making that comment. Absolutely. Holy smokes. So good. Um, so this is a rematch of a match we recently covered, and uh, it's a few that goes on for quite a while, you know, in various forms, but uh, it's always great. Uh, I love this match. I don't think you get quite as much as you did on the house show because they don't have as much time and uh you know it's a no contest at the end a double count out but yeah you get a lot of great stuff it's really a fantastic match in my opinion you get Arn doing some flair tribute spots that i definitely picked up on uh sean is looking really good he then gets involved a little bit and then gets sent to the back and that's always a big uh, pop from the crowd you get a great spine buster just a lot of great stuff in here as you would expect from these four yeah, I wrote down the deception of seemingly effortless art yes. because it it looks like this is the easiest thing in the world to do, and by God, it's not. But it's Arn Anderson. It's totally Michaels hits a crossbody off of a totally roll up. Um, there's a young buck spot with like going under or over or around double super kicks. Some AEW uh, foreshadowing with these with these fellas with Tolly and Arn, and then some. It's a little bit of the Atolian arm versus the Young Bucks. Uh, oh, yeah. Lots of stuff. It's good. It's very fast-paced. You can tell they've been in the ring with each other. You can tell uh, that the Brain Busters are experts. And like uh, Ms. Ben said, Bobby Heenan. It's always fun to watch Bobby Heenan get ejected. <laughs> it really is. I guess it's a good show for good matches. You know, We've had a few shows that didn't really have any uh, especially good matches. But between the two Martell matches... Hogan, Bad News Brown match was uh, actually pretty good. Owen DiBiase, now this one. There's a lot of really good matches on these shows. Yeah, I agree. And it's, hard, it's almost hard to see that for the giant narrative because we are right at WrestleMania, but that's absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Vincent Man nonsense. Like, Moy Gennetti almost makes a tag, but also not close. And uh, Vince says, Gennetti makes the tag. And Jesse says, no, he didn't. And uh, Vince is like, well, it looked like he did. And then... When the match ends, it's like a, the most obvious double count out in the history of wrestling. And Jesse Ventura is like, um, clearly a double count out. And then like the Rockers roll in like way after the fact. And Vince is like, I'm not so sure. Vince <laughs> <laughs> uh, McMahon has a commentary. Yeah, very weird uh, stuff that he does at times. Uh, of course, what a maneuver is famous when he doesn't really know what to say about a move. Um he will make calls that don't seem to be true. He has a lot of, uh, I don't know if he's doing it yet, but at times he definitely does the, like, one, two, three, he got him. Oh, no, he didn't actually. <laughs> yeah. you know? So it's a lot of, like, calls that he immediately retracts, but he never, um, you know, is called on it. Uh, Seth Ventura will call him on it sometimes, so credit to him. Another fun thing that I just realized, I don't know how after all these years, that at least as early as Vader, if not earlier, Arn Anderson was doing that Vader bomb splash off the second rope. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I never thought Vader invented it, but you, you don't see it as much. He does it well. It's a good move. It's a good move for a guy like Anderson, you know, kind of like you said, that husky body. Yeah. It's just funny. And then I think the biggest sign, the biggest thing I take from this matchup is 
the fans very, very, very much wanted them to get back in there and continue. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd, like, it would be hard for me to trade, I think I said this before, it'd be hard to trade the Brain Busters Strike Force match we're going to get at WrestleMania, but man, if one of these matches was at WrestleMania and they kind of went the distance, then I think people would be talking about it as one of the best WrestleMania tag matches ever. Absolutely. Or you could just be like Hulk Hogan and make it a threesome. <laughs> Just want to be on that shoulder with Liz. So. Oh, dear man. So, <laughs> I think we got Rockers and um, Akeem and Bossman, right? Yep, we do. We do. And then uh, Brain Busters and Strike Force. So, some good tag team action at WrestleMania. Who's tag champions? Demolition? I think, yeah, still. They're feuding with what? Powers of Pain, I think. So, Your Demolition, God. they're in that super long run, which held the record for a really long time. So, they'll be doing it for a while. So we're going to have at least three tag matches. Yeah, yeah, at least. I think four, actually, because I think Heart Foundation does something, too. Once uh, again. Oh, God, and then the, the Bushwhackers are also on, so I apologize for that. But, <laughs> but there will come a time where Bret Hart's going to get probably about two or three years of nothing but praise, so it will come Bret Hart fans. But, man, if you're out there repping the Heart Foundation as something more than what it is, like, more power to you. We all deserve our narratives, but I just don't even know how you're going about doing it. Yeah, I don't see it. I'm not really going to be excited about Bret Hart until 1991. Um, so, yeah, we're a couple years away yet. That just blew my mind because it's like, oh, tag match. WWF Fence is not that big of a fan of tag matches. And it's like one match, that sounds awesome. Two matches, that sounds awesome. Three matches, that sounds awesome. Oh, also the Hart Foundation's in a tag match. <laughs> yeah, I think five tag matches total, though. So, you know. Wow. Um, yeah. Out of 14, so I think you said the other week. I believe so, yeah, that's right. Okay, so that is coming, folks. That's also that's next week's episode, WrestleMania Five. We only have one more. Uh, well, we got Savage at the end, but besides that, we got one more segment. Uh, Miz fans also kind of set us up for this. We got we have a uh, Red Rooster Brooklyn Brawler match coming to set up what is actually Bobby Heenan and Red Rooster at WrestleMania Five. But first, it'll be Jesse Ventura with Bobby Heenan and the Brooklyn Brawler. Indeed, and uh, of course they show footage of that primetime incident, which is still uh, sharp in my memory. Ventura justifies everything that Heenan did there, naturally. And uh, Heenan says the Red Rooster was a nobody when he found him, and he still is a nobody. (laughs) And then he says Brooklyn Mm. Brawler is a bigger and better nobody. (laughs) That's so funny. Which is a great way to frame this feud, for sure. Um, he, he tells Brawler if he messes up, he'll be back on the streets, which doesn't seem to bother the Brooklyn Brawler at all. And uh, says if he does what he tells him, he's going to make a lot of money. It's funny, he kind of threatens Brooklyn Brawler a lot in this. Yet uh, when Brooklyn Brawler leaves the family, it will be like the most peaceful, amicable split that mm. ever happened in the family. Because usually most people turn on Heenan, and those that don't just sort of disappear from the company forever. But this is the one split where... Just one day, Heenan says, well, he's not in the family anymore, but I wish him well. And he'll still, like, compliment him on uh, commentary every time. So it's like the one relationship which actually survived. I love that. I wonder how many times baby faces can say that. Right, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Red Rooster's firing back with Gene Arkland. He says, I am somebody. I am the Red Rooster. I don't know if I'd want to brag about that, buddy. So, <laughs> I don't know. He's so... They call him a limited human being, and, you know, they're right, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> he does a stupid This is opposite of Ted DiBiase, because yep. you got someone, to me, who doesn't have, like, 
he's not that good in the ring. He's got a weird body that, like, to me, I don't know what kind of talent that could make him. And then he's got a bad gimmick on top of it. So it's just like bad, bad, bad. Yeah, bad on top of bad. Ridiculous. And so this is a short matchup. You can guess who's going to win it. Uh, uh, Red Rooster's going to get that quick victory over uh, the Brooklyn Brawler, but he's also going to pay for it at the end because while Vincent Mann is somehow calling this the third strike for Bobby Heenan of the night, <laughs> Bobby Heenan and the Red uh, and the Brooklyn Brawler are going to get a beatdown on uh, Mr. Red Rooster. Indeed. I will say, this is a match that, um, you know, without the story behind it, no one would possibly care about this match. But it has a nice energy for the time it is, just because yeah. uh, it does have a hot story behind it, and that really does make a big difference. It makes a huge difference. Like, I still don't really even like seeing Red Rooster out there, but, you know, it was far better than what it would have been. It helps a little, for sure. Uh, so, so Terry Taylor does get the quick win. Red Rooster, uh, he wants Heenan to enter the ring. He wants to fight. And I love this because Bobby Heenan, uh, he's got a mic on him again. So you can kind of hear everything he's saying. And I love it because as he gets in the ring, he's like, I hope, like his tone is like he's still trash talking. But he's like, I hope the Brooklyn Brawler is ready. And then just at that moment, Brooklyn Brawler runs in, hits Terry Taylor from behind. And uh, it's just a nice piece of like, like if a manager and a client are really in sync. There's no yeah. way Brawler can hear this. And yet they're so synchronized that uh, it just it comes across really well. That's great. I like that point. And it goes back to what you said, though. You know, he is harsh on him, but he uh, brawler knew what it was going in, and he's just a different kind of client than Red Rooster, and it, it ends well. So there's just there's something about the relationship that works between these two. Yep, there absolutely is. Uh, Red Rooster does rally. He boots the brawler out. Heenan has to uh, do his crazy ring escape, where he kind of flips over the ropes and. Seems like he should blow his shins up, but he never does, so <laughs> credit to him. Um, I'll talk about it next time. This is a match. I always wonder what this match should have been. I think I mentioned before, Heenan is going to be uh, pretty badly injured by the Ultimate Warrior uh, at WrestleMania. Um, so uh, we won't really get whatever the real outcome of this feud was meant to be. So, oh well, we'll see what happens. I'd, I'd take this feud over whatever the Ultimate Warrior is doing right now. <laughs> Indeed, you're not you're not thrilled about that Rick Rude feud that's going on. So. I didn't even realize it. This is like it's been lousy. Like Warriors Run has been lousy so far. He's got a long way to go to get on the page with anybody relevant. Agreed. Other than the fact he's got big muscles and he runs and face paint and loud music, and this is not like I could have been an Ultimate Warrior fan at some point. Like any kid could possibly be an Ultimate Warrior fan. So I'm never knocking anyone who was. Sure. But I'm just saying, as far as evidence right now, he is putting not a damn thing on the table that you couldn't dress someone else up if they have a certain look and do the same thing. Agreed. Yeah. So we'll see if he brings any more. But uh, that's what we've got so far. To wrap us up, we go backstage. Okerlund, far too gleefully, in my opinion, asks Savage for his mm. reaction about what Liz said. And uh, Savage well, wouldn't you know, he freaks out and destroys the room and also destroys his shirt. So who could have possibly foreseen that outcome? Yeah, absolutely. I, and it's a funny thing because Gene Arclone just got bullied by Hulk Hogan. Now he's bullying Randy Savage. So here goes the line. Uh, Savage is malfunctioning. I said that sometimes motion isn't good motion even for Randy Savage. And I didn't even realize this, but the last thing I wrote on the last page of these notes, they're all guilty. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's a great way to summarize this whole feud, because they are indeed 
Oh, guilty. And I will say, um, I'm a big fan of, uh, of logic and emotional state informing how wrestling goes. And if you looked at this and you see Randy Savage and you see Hulk Hogan, you would, you would know, surely, there's no way Randy Savage can live this, win this match because he is deep in his emotion. His mind is yeah. not on what it should be on. And Hulk Hogan, you know, he's barely affected by any of this. You know, he, he's got his eye on the prize. Um, so, yeah, the, the writing is on the wall for Randy Savage's first and by far longest title run. And it's been an interesting ride. But uh, I think even not knowing what we knew, it would be hard to see him coming out on top of this in the end. That is a great point, my friend, because I've never thought about this. And I get why we don't get this often, because the goal is to sell pay-per-view and you sell pay-per-view by the same storyline, I guess, over and over again, which is, oh, man, it's the biggest pay-per-view. And these two people are, are not only at the peak of their mental and physical power, but they want each other and they want to get at each other. But don't you think once in a while it would be a time for a big pay-per-view and whatever happened in the feud would make someone be in a worse state than, than, than the peak state or best state? Mm, yeah. You know, so I think people should play with that more because then you can still make it intriguing. Because what if Randy Savage is going to pull out something that God only knows what he's going to do in order to to make it work? Mm. You know, but I would like to see once in a while. Like Triple H, to me, is a picture of everything that could ever go wrong because it's like because he has nothing to give sometimes uh, to me that is like alive and real. They overbook it. So it's always like, oh, my God, you got to get security in the ring. These two people hate each other. They didn't even dislike each other a day ago. And now, like, th- th- this is the worst they've ever felt about each other. You know, <laughs> wouldn't it just be nice once in a while that, oh, man, like Hulk Hogan is kind of shining right now because like he didn't really give a shit about Liz or Savage or any of this <laughs> stuff. And Savage is on the floor, like, you know, like balled up. And. You can't always sell that because it does kind of point to Hulk Hogan's going to win. But, man, there's something that you opened up that I've never thought about before that I just wish once in a while someone could be in uh, in a state other than peak state before every single pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's something interesting about that, just to look at the emotions of everyone involved. So we'll keep watching. We'll see if it um, continues. I would say, like, look at WrestleMania three. Both guys were definitely in, like, a certain emotional state, but neither one was, like, overwhelmed by emotion, you know? Like, Hulk Hogan was overwhelmed at one point, but he recovered. Andre was actually never that emotional, uh, except to maybe be, like, uh, motivated. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think you have some examples that kind of fit that uh, well. You know, they would never have had to, like, do a pull-apart brawl necessarily, except maybe that one time Andre was choking Hogan and, like, uh, no one could get him off. So, you know, it happens still, but it's a different feeling, you know? It's also Andre's the only person. Andre was the Hulk Hogan of the Hulk Hogan Andre. Like, <laughs> you know, he could make Hulk Hogan feel a certain way. He could not be manipulated. He had he had tenure and he had ethos. Everybody after that, Hulk Hogan is the Hulk Hogan in the feud. Right, yep. Yep. So I don't know what, what Warrior and Hogan is going to be an example, probably, of what I'm talking about that I don't like. And no, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's all like they're both like in their strongest, you know, space <laughs> ever. And here they come, you know. OK, good. I but. actually don't know if there's an emotional aspect to that feud at all. I, I'm very curious because I remember and I didn't watch it that closely, but from what I remember, 
it's a little bit similar to this, and they do a lot of, like, kind of back-and-forth little promos, like, off on their own. But it's all about just, like, you know, there's no um, clips to show. It's just they're both, like, Warriors talking about, like, his space powers, and Hogan's talking about his Hulkamaniacs, and it's just, like, a war of nonsense, like, back and forth. So I don't know yeah. if that's true, but that's my impression. Yeah, I think they might have something like a double clothesline in the Rumble or something. And to me, their whole storyline is a double clothesline. <laughs> it's a test <laughs> of strength, know. perfectly matched. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. And, and uh, I think it's also interesting that to compare Sean and Brett at WrestleMania 12 and Hogan and Warrior at WrestleMania 6. Are, are they the little guy version of that, or are they, or is it different? That's a good question. I don't know. I, I know which one I prefer, certainly. Yes. But <laughs> but I just wonder if it's like, you know, oh, they're both at peak. Shawn Michaels does flips and Bret Hart's a technical and they're both at the best of this. And, you know, because I guess there's something intriguing about anybody can win. But also, you know, it, then am I just watching a flip of the coin? And if you had WrestleMania the next night with the other guy win and, you know, I need some I need some emotion and some human being in this and. That's going to be the question. Is Warrior going to have any emotional feuds with depth and layers in it? Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. He's got Savage. He's got that thing with Jake, which never actually becomes a match. But still, you know, we're going to have some interest in that. So we'll see. There's going to be a lot, a lot on the table still. You know there's going to be a lot of emotion in that Warrior Triple H feud that we get eventually. So. Oh, now that's one I am looking forward to, actually. <laughs> and both these super thin. Like, that's Triple H, like... That's pre-Triple H. That's, uh, uh, what's his name from WCW? Terrorizing. Terrorizing, yeah. You know, he's got that slim build, and, like, he gets that military press that he doesn't come back from. He gets that splash and splat on the mat. And, like, we got to say in history a million times, he was being punished. He was being punished. But we don't want to acknowledge the fact that he was just a guy who got trounced by the Ultimate Warrior at one time in his career. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't even exist in the narrative anymore, so we don't even no. have to say he was punished. It just didn't happen, so. All so, right. Warrior Savage and Warrior Jake slash Undertaker, I think, will have layers and meaning and emotion. Yes, and that may may or may not be happening near the Warrior instead of right. with him, but uh, still, we'll, we'll see what we get. Yeah, I recently, YouTube brought up a promo of him sitting in a casket while Jake Roberts narrated, and it definitely was... Can you just sit there and please and look like you're listening? Or there's another one where Warrior's like buried up to his neck um, in mm -hmm. the dirt, and that's you know even better because yeah, just sit there, be ahead. You might as well. So imagine being a kid and that's the first time you watched wrestling because that's what was, that's how I was introduced to professional wrestling. Well, right no there. wonder you stayed a fan because I love that stuff. So. Yeah, because I mean, what I, I don't know what we probably watched Saved by the Bell. I don't know if that was on at the time, but you like they're sitting in the max, and then you change the channel, and Ultimate Warrior's locked up in a you know wherever Jake has him. Oh my gosh, now that's incredible. That period of um, right around yeah SummerSlam '91 all the way to WrestleMania uh, eight, I think it is, is uh, definitely one of my favorite periods creatively in wrestling history. So you definitely picked the right time to jump on. Yeah, it feels a lot like what we realized that this 80s era is, which is yeah. you know, deep, deep, deep storylines, themes, and symbols, and all that kind of stuff. So Absolutely. All right, we're almost out of time here. Anything else we want to say about this before we uh, wrap it up? I've, I've never been quite as exhausted 
uh, going into a WrestleMania, but these guys, these guys have laid it all out for us. These guys have exhausted us with their uh, story, and they indeed are all guilty. Couldn't have summed it up better myself. <laughs> Whew, all right. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We'll be back next week with WrestleMania 5, so watch along with us if you like. If you want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Uh, also, check out the great programs on LOP Radio and all the great written material on www.lopforums.com. Type that whole URL to get there uh, or navigate through our main page, WrestlingHeadlines.com, which has a nice new look and actually looks really great, in my opinion. So do check that out as well. That's everything. WrestleMania 5, next time we finally made it there. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. You know that no one else believed me. About that, with green eyes and white stripes and salted tears, I knew that these were just its cautionary features. Keep telling myself nothing to fear. It's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya. He's the one that's scared. It's just an undiscovered creature. Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books Or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen Every life form but there it is, an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya, he's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya, he's the one that's scared The undiscovered and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared Let's go.